Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this fine program. Today I've got Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress with me as we continue to review everything that went on inside of Jordan-Hare Stadium on Saturday between Auburn and Sanford and the rest of the weekend in college football. We'll make sure we open it up a little bit more, talk about some of the other surprises of the weekend. Today at 3.30 we'll have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on. He will be, again, reviewing that Sanford game with us and previewing the beginning of SEC play for the Auburn Tigers as they go to College Station to take on the Texas A&M Aggies this weekend for an 11 a.m. kickoff. And then a little bit later, around 4.30 or so, 4.15, we will have uh, the press conference audio from Hugh Freeze. We do that from time to time uh, throughout the year uh, when we get to big games and that sort of thing. And, of course, the start of SEC play would certainly qualify as that. So we're going to play the Hugh Freeze press conference audio from yesterday and uh, let you hear what he had to say about the start of SEC play with Texas A&M and, and Auburn hooking up on Saturday. And, of course, we'll take all your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-889-TIGER-9 if you want to give us a call here this afternoon. Ryan, Brooks, and Tom with you. Brooks, we'll start with you. How has your day been this afternoon? Uh, it's been busy, uh, as most uh, weekdays are uh, around the office, but I'm doing good. Uh, it's a wonderful time of year with football back in full swing. I had two Monday night games last night, um, and it's uh, the, a lot of a lot of sports going on. I had a great college football weekend this past weekend, even though the slate of games wasn't uh, on, on, on the surface level. When you looked at it, you, you said, eh, whatever there were some entertaining games this weekend and so that's the that's the beauty about college football even though you you look at the 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 weekend slate and you may not be appetized to start things start things off you you get the dish in front of you and you're like well this isn't half bad there's there's a couple games that i can we could stomach here and so it was uh it was a good week of college football uh good weekend of nfl football of course my team now oh and two uh both on national tv which is fun um i i I enjoy getting to see the, the the patriots play on national tv uh but it, it may be time to move on and, and not play a national tv game because we, we haven't looked good on either of them um and so and, and then yeah the braves have been struggling on the struggle bus since uh winning the division a little bit and so they uh they got to get things uh kicked back in the right order i know uh, jesse chavez and relief pitcher coming back tonight uh for the braves and so maybe that gives a gives a little spark to the bullpen and uh, we'll see what happens. Game two of the 
the Braves Phillies. They did lock up the uh, the wild card by last night with the Cardinals. Adam Wainwright getting his uh, 200th career win uh, and beating them beating the uh, the Brewers locked the Braves up into home field advantage uh, through the NLDS. Uh, now you got the NLCS waiting, waiting, try to get that locked up over the Dodgers, and then of course over the, Ra- uh, the, the Ravens, the other Baltimore team, the Orioles, uh, for the uh, overall for the postseason if the Braves make it uh, that far. And so it's a great sports time. Can't wait to uh, talk to it. Can't t- t- talk about it. Can't wait to talk to all of our callers and uh, get going with the sports call today. And Tom Peavy, you are dressed in your uh, Montgomery <laughs> biscuit right. steer uh, gear. Excuse me, getting ready for one of, if not their last, home games of yep. the year. So uh, excited to have you on again. And I know you'll be leaving us a little bit early, but how are you this afternoon? I I'm doing great. Yeah, got the. Uh, I'm ready to butter up, <laughs> as they say. Uh, yeah, they start a, a best of three series today against the Pensacola Blue Wahoos uh, in the playoffs, and so they they play one in Montgomery, take a day off, and then. One in Pensacola, and then a, and if needed in Pensacola, so uh, it could be the last one. We hope it's not. We hope there's another playoff game, but just in case, uh, Michelle and I are gonna head to Montgomery here later this afternoon. Go take in another biscuits baseball game at Riverwalk Stadium. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, uh, looking forward to continuing talking everything we left yesterday, and uh, yeah, man, Braves, goodness, I, I they they got to figure it out. I mean, they lose another one. I, the thing is, I guess it's a, what's so crazy is they're not just losing; they're getting their butts kicked, and they got their butts kicked again last night uh, by the Phillies. So you're hoping the Braves will get things straightened out with that. But uh, yeah, looking forward to talking all things sports today. Absolutely, let's uh, let's get to it. We will a little bit later talk uh, again some uh, certainly some of the games from this past weekend and in, in college and talk a little NFL as well but uh, let's start things off as we well, we always do talking some Auburn and uh, Brooks want to get you going here in this conversation of everything that you saw on Saturday you of course were in the press box with Brant Daughtry and able to take the game in uh, from that point of view you will be in the press box for the Georgia game in two weeks so let's talk about what you saw there live I mean what uh uh, you, you kind of rehash some things for us about what went well and and what did not go as according to plan. Uh, well, I mean, slow start, and you you really hope that you can get that figured out in practice this week uh, for Auburn because uh, you know no matter what this Texas A and M team looks like coming out of the uh, gates, they're you know they they're an offensive team. They they've got uh, some some guys that can score the football. Um, and if you get down early to Texas A&M, you're, you're going to have to claw your way back, and you don't want to have to claw your way out of a hole uh, on the road. Uh, and so get get a little bit of a quicker start there. Don't wait till the second quarter to start scoring. I know that you could have um, you, you you know you could have afforded that luxury against uh, a, a team like Samford, but you know you, you've got to figure that some of that out. Uh, I really like the defense, uh, the defensive performances from this past week, and I really like that they uh, kind of. Uh, followed up their performance at Cal two weeks ago um, with another good performance, and especially I, I think I, I wrote this down uh, for my um, for one of my keys to the game on Friday uh, was uh, that I wanted to see them have a big performance without having the motivation. I know you, you know a couple weeks ago leading to that Cal game, you had some of the Cal players uh, quotes coming out of there that's you know saying oh it's not the same Auburn and everything, and it, it, and you know we talked to. Uh, 
to Eugene Asante after that game, and he said, yeah, that, that motivated us, and it was, you know, we used that and got in there. And I wanted to see, you know, we one, there's not as much media coverage around Sanford, so they may have said it's something but, uh, that we may not have known about. But um, from, you know, every, out, out in the media sphere, though, there was no no talk or anything from the Sanford side of things like, oh, yeah, it's not the same Auburn. You know, we're, we're going to you know go down there and have something for them in their, their place. Uh, there wasn't any of that talk, and so what did the, could the defense replicate that performance from Cal without that that talk? And they did. I was impressed by that. Uh, now you got to take it again back on the road against a team that uh, that's not you know a Texas A&M team that's probably you know it, it, we're already Tuesday in, so you're probably not going to get any quotes out of them uh, this late in the game unless there's something that comes out from a coach's show or something. But that would be. Uh, I, I don't, you know, I, that I don't would see, be unwise. They're yeah. not in a position to do that. Yeah, we, we saw what um, we, we saw what Brian Kelly uh, on a coach's show did a couple, you know, at the beginning of the season, and uh, Florida State uh, did not like it. And so, um, but yeah, it's you know, can you continue to use that or continue to put together those types of performances uh, without the off the field motivation? Um, and then, you know, I, I think I said Friday that I wanted to see a more cohesive game plan on offense. I think we did. Um, it was just executing it a little bit better. Um, you, you saw the game plan. You know, I, I know there was a big deal made last week about pass attempts um, from Peyton Thorne, 32 pass attempts on the, on the evening. Uh, and so, or yeah, 32 pass attempts on the evening. And so I, I think you saw them air it out a little bit more. Um, I, I think that you you know you, you saw a little bit more of a cohesive game plan. You didn't see Robbie Ashford much at all uh, in this game. You only saw him what throw the ball four times in, in the entire uh, in the entire game. And so uh, it's um, it it's coming along. Uh, you, there's still quite a few steps that you have to take, and it's uh, it's a big steep learning curve this week. I think you free said it yesterday about it that you're you're going to get baptized really quickly into the SEC. Some of the young guys that you're going to have to step up. Uh, this weekend, but it overall good performance on Saturday. You got you handled business. Um, I I do think that you know Peyton Thorn uh, was in there a little bit longer than you would have liked, but I, I think that lent itself more to trying to figure out get you know make make a more complete cohesiveness with the offense. Uh, but other than that, I, I think it was a good performance on Saturday for the Tigers against Samford. Uh, now you turn your attention to the SEC opening weekend, 11 a.m. kick. Uh, on a on the road at a at a, play, a tough place to play, a hundred and some odd thousand fans yelling. And it's a, you know you you talk about you know going to Alabama, Georgia. It's a we've been down there a couple times, uh, Ryan. Uh, it's a different kind of loud where it's it's more chanting loud, it's more constant loud rather than big spurts of loudness and like LSU or Georgia or or Alabama loud. It, it's a it's a different kind of loud down there. So it's it's going to be a, a new experience for a lot of these guys. Yeah, and look, again, the game times do mean a little bit from time to time. Uh, I know a lot of people were hoping that that Auburn-Georgia game would end up being a night game, but it was not a surprise when it was a 2.30 game. But you love playing at 11 a.m. road games. Auburn, you know, some people might have a, a horror story in their mind or that sort of thing. Uh, in the last 10 years, Auburn is 7-3 and three in road games in the SEC that kick at 11 a.m. So if you're wondering what that success metric is like, one of those losses I do recall uh, was the 2015 Arkansas game that went to millions of overtimes and uh, could have easily been won for the same price. So Auburn has been completely fine, more than fine, in these 11 a.m. road kickoffs. So 
I think the timing part of it will be fine. On the Sanford part of it, I think that, as you mentioned there, I think the game plan was was good. I think that they – obviously we would all would want to see a little more execution, a little bit tighter with the football, that sort of thing. But I think from a game planning perspective, they did the right thing. Yes, they probably had to play Thorne longer than they wanted to, but also I think this was a scenario where you're okay with that because they again it's not it was not even as many questions as you or I had. I feel like the coaching staff had as many questions as you could have about Peyton Thorne, and I feel like they lacked more confidence than maybe all of us did. And look, when he plays A and M and if he plays poorly, then obviously you gotta you gotta have to, to question some more things, and and criticisms will come and that sort of thing. But to me, in my mind, I just hadn't seen enough to have a strong opinion on what it looked like. I mean, it was one game of passes in a two game sample size. It was thirty one passes through two games, and then he threw that many in just this one game. And again, I think that the actual real passes part of it were pretty good. The accuracy was there. Uh, the timing was fine. It was just a couple misreads, and those misreads led to the turnovers. The Again, the first turnover was on a third and goal. After the second and goal play was an RPO that if they hand off as a touchdown, but he went with the one-on-one fade on the outside, reminiscent to the Cal game, except with poor results this time. And then third down, you're trying to force something in there, interception. And then – the well-documented, everyone has seen it at this point, everyone knows what we're referring to, when you miss Jair shorter wide open on the drag route uh, or crossing route, whatever, however deep it is, defines what that is, but on the crossing route and you throw in the double, almost triple coverage towards the end zone and, and that becomes a pick. You know, th- that's not arm talent. That's not arm issues or anything like that. That's just a poor read. And to me... Uh, that is very correctable because you you've got to you've got to it's about eyes and it's about taking what you're get taking what you're given. Checkdowns on third down, I understand they're not always effective. That sort of thing. That case, it would have been that case you would have uh, absolutely gotten a first down there. But maybe there's a different situation on a third and ten in an SEC game. You check down, you get five yards. You still punt, but at least you're giving your guy an opportunity to make play. And the, your success rate on that is still going to be far better than throwing in double coverage down the field. Uh, because if it's even if it's one-on-one, you might get a pass interference. You might get something panicky, fluky, sure. Uh, or someone just make a 50-50 play. But it's not 50-50 if you got two got two defenders down there to only one offense player. It's not 50-50 anymore. And so those decisions are, are something that, will need to be corrected and will need to be made better as we go through SEC play. But as I talked about towards the end of the show yesterday, the one thing you can't have and one thing you don't want to have is this team underperform because of coaching because that would not bode well for the future. It's acceptable to be like, yeah, the roster's just not there yet because that's what the coaching staff's talked about it. That's what we've talked about based off the last two to three to four recruiting classes. That is an acceptable thing for year one of a new coaching staff. Like, yes, the roster's just not there yet. Even with the portal, we made some upgrades, we made some adjustments, but we're not there yet. That's acceptable. What would be much more problematic is say, you know what? This team was actually good enough to get nine or ten wins, but the coaches kept 
having just dumb situational play calling, or came uh, came into the to the the schemat- or came into the the game each week schematically off and had to make rampant adjustments at halftime and didn't make enough adjustments. If if that was the type of stuff going on, or if that does become the type of stuff going on, that's more problematic for year two, year three, year four. So again, when you're talking about thirty and forty point victories against low-level competition against FCS teams or against a group of five teams that are, are not destined for greatness that particular year like UMass, that little stuff is more transferable towards latter years and latter games and that sort of thing than, oh, yeah, they were clean and, you know, they just ran 48 times. Like, right. you don't learn anything about that, and it doesn't take a genius to game plan that way either. They knew they needed to see more of Thorn, so they saw more of Thorn. Yeah, so the the one thing that I I mentioned on yesterday's show, and I'll mention again here today, and this goes into the coaching because they're the ones that are going to kind of help develop this. You've got your three games in. We've seen a game, we've seen one game that was very run heavy. We've seen a game that was very pass heavy, and we've seen a game in the middle that just really nothing <laughs> was happening. Really, so uh, now it's Texas A and M. Now is the game that you need to show what the identity is, and that's going to come into that game plan, which that falls on the shoulders of that coaching staff. And I don't just mean an offensive identity, but I mean you've got to have that defensive identity as well. I think we've seen more of what that defense is going to look like, um, so I'm not so concerned there. But the on the offensive side of things, what is that identity? What is going to be that game plan? What are, what are you, what is your strength, and and are you going to use those strengths to try to then help out with that now is that going to be a lot more running i don't know is that going to be a lot more passing i don't know that either but that's one of those that you don't want to find yourself which we've seen in many other times where it feels like there is no identity like you have no idea from even drive to drive what's going to happen you may have a drive that, that you run three run plays and then you punt and then you turn right around and you have a drive where you're throwing it all over the field, and then and then mix it up, and then a full run, and then a full pass. It's just like, you know, it just seems like, uh, you know, just kind of like, uh, you know, draw, randomly drawing plays out of a hat, and it just doesn't feel like there's anything cohesive about it. That's on the coaching staff. So this is the game that you need to go ahead and show that what the identity is, and and let that be your identity through the rest of the season. So what should it be? If, if you have to do one thing 60% of the time, the other thing 40% of the time, and I know it's not a perfect world, so things can happen, but what should the identity be going into a and I, I, I just think from the strengths of this team, I, I think it needs to be more of a run team. Uh, obviously, you've got to throw the ball. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, be it quote-unquote be a run team like the – the old school, I say old school, I mean, just a few years ago, Army or Navy or Georgia Tech, something like that. No, 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 I'm not talking that. I'm not talking a running team like that. But I, I think the identity is going to have to be run to set up the pass, not pass to set up the run. I, I just I feel that you have to feel confident in that stable of running backs that you have. Now you've shown that you have some confidence in both Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford to run the ball as well. So you've got guys all over the field that can run. On the flip side of that, you still have some concerns about wide receivers. 
You still have some concerns about Peyton Thorne in the passing game as far as some of the decision-making, which you just mentioned. And you can even go back to UMass. There were times that, sure. that Hugh Freeze was talking about that he's throwing to the complete wrong side of the field from where he needed to be. So you have questions there. I think your least questions are in the running game. So it's going to have to be, I feel like, a run to set up the pass. Now, how you do that, I don't know. I mean, obviously they like those those RPO looks. Are you going to become a dominant RPO-type team? And I don't mean dominate the defense. I mean, I, I maybe I should say predominant, predominant RPO. Um, is it going to be a lot of designed quarterback runs? Is it going to be a lot of designed running back runs instead of RPO, just out of RPO look? Those things I don't know because I don't know what all they fully have worked on. We've seen a little bit of both. But – it, but I but I think it's gonna have to be a run first team. I, I just I think that's where your strength lies, and I think that's where your success can come from. But I to make that happen, offensive line is gonna have to step up and do a lot better job as well. Because we've we've talked also ad nauseum that the numbers of the running backs are not very good right now. I mean, right now Peyton Thorne is the leading rusher on this football team. Well, again, yes, and 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 that Sanford game was standing, but. Right. I've also talked about that in the Cal game, for instance, the running backs still averaged 5.6 yards a carry. Sure. And that it was Thorne and Asher that were not getting anything going. Right. And that's the, I say, quote, real game, but that is, you know, the, the best test they've had so far. So it's, I don't think it's running back production. I think that what happened and what is concerning is that you had a couple of linemen go down the Sanford game. That's true. You had, I call it a little bit lack of an edge because I'm in no way insinuating they didn't play hard or didn't prepare hard, but I just think that the motivation level was just not as there. And also when you're game planning and clearly they game plan the throw more, right. I just don't think that they went into the week saying, yeah, we're just going to move these little boys around and, and, and run 50 times. I just don't think that was what they were trying to do. Uh, and so that's why I'm not overly worried about it, except for the fact you did rack up two starting offensive linemen getting injured, and then their status is questionable uh, for Saturday. And that's something we can ask Justin Ferguson about here in just a couple minutes. Brooks, before we go to break, same question to you, offensive identity coming into Texas A&M. Do you agree that's got to be kind of a little bit of run first, or uh, what, what What do you see as the identity going into A&M? What do I see of the identity? Uh, what should it be? Yeah, what should it be? I think it's, uh, you know, I, I look at it as probably a, a run first offense right here. All right. Let me, let me just say an RPO offense. That's what it, because you're, you're, I think that at the base of everything, you're, you're looking at this, this offense and it's, Hey, we're going to give it to X running back. If you know, it, it's it first, I, I think that the RPO is let's read the run first. And then we're going to go, you know, it's not a, you're not looking for the pass and say, Oh, the pass isn't there. Here's the, here's the run. Um, I think that you know you you want to get in the hands of your backs, especially after that that first week where you did not have Jarquez and you got to see and we we you know we we knew there was depth in the the running back room we knew there was depth there that you know we talked about it all off season but when you finally got to see it on display against UMass uh, without Jarquez Hunter there I think that you got a little more confidence in that um, so I think that right now this this team they want to run the ball first I think you saw that through the first two games I think this week. This past week was, you know, a little exercising a few of those demons where you're like, we're going to get better in the pass game. We're going to we, we can work on the passing game here. Um, what I think it should be, I you know, I'm I would love the the offense to be a true uh, to to be a, a true 
almost 50-50. I would love it to be, you know, hey, you know, here's going to read the run, read the pass, let's go. Because it, it's going to be an RPO it, offense. That's what he freeze runs. Um, and I would love it to be a true, like, we're going to pass the ball about half the time. We're going to throw the ball about half the time. Keep the, or we're going to run the ball about half the time. We're going to keep the defense on their toes. But right now, and it, and Hugh Freeze even talked about, they're still trying to figure out what they are in that wide receiver room. And so you can't get more heavy into the pass, especially going into this, the, the SEC slate uh, against some of these better defenses in the country with, uh, and, and be a true, you know, we're going to pass the ball like we did this past weekend. Uh, when you don't know what you have there and when you don't know everything that's going to go into, you know, you're still trying to figure out your receiver room three games in. Yeah. Uh, again, I think everyone in a perfect world, or not everyone, but a lot of people would, would love a particular balance. But but we also know that going into even the fall, Hugh Freeze was talking about, yeah, I, I'm not too worried about the actual play count. I'm worried about the yards per play out of both the run and pass because oftentimes, you know, did you achieve balance? Well, we probably called more of – we called a certain amount of both and then they became, you know, check downs or they became RPOs. They became decisions that were made to change the potential of what was going on. So let's just give you a round number. Say you take a, a sample size of 50 plays. Say you have – you know, a pretty even spread there. So you've got so you got twenty passes, twenty runs, and ten RPOs. Well if nine of the ten RPOs become runs, that's twenty nine to twenty one runs, it's like, yeah, that was a run game. But if you choose to pass seven out of those ten times in the RPOs RPOs, then you threw more than you than, than you ran. And then it looks like you had a, a pass balance to yourself. So the decisions out of the RPO can dictate what ends up being more run and more pass, but I agree that Based on what we've seen, I still think there's few more uh, a few more unknowns with the the passing stuff because of the decision making, and so I would also lean like you guys to a little bit more run. But you're going to be doing you're going to be doing RPOs, and so at the end of the day, you're going to have things that fluctuate in terms of what the actual play number does and that sort of thing. And I hate to say lean on that old stick. Auburn's always been a run team. But that's Auburn in their history has always been a run team. We are out of time for this segment because coming up in just a couple of minutes, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. He'll talk all things Auburn Sanford, Auburn Texas A&M, and uh, give us a couple injury updates as several of the Tigers uh, dealing with the injury bug headed into SEC play. That's coming up next. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. want to call into the show send us your thoughts via email you've got mail sports call at the tiger.fm now back to the multi-time abby award-winning sports call Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan Loy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. And we're now excited to go back 
to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line and welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today for our weekly chat. Justin, the time is always greatly appreciated. How are you this afternoon? I'm all right. How are you? Doing very well. We get set for SEC play, but first we look back towards Auburn and Sanford. Uh, from a game planning standpoint and just from everything that went on, uh, what, uh, how many boxes or, or kind of what, uh, what were all the boxes that Auburn checked against Sanford on Saturday? I think you got a lot of them except for, you know, staying healthy. Losing Keate Scott for uh, what sounds like a pretty long time is, is is a big blow. Picked up some other injuries in the game that you have to keep an eye on this week before they go to Texas A&M. But, you know, it was a slow start, but Auburn did exactly what I thought Auburn needed to do in this game, which was throw the ball. Sanford was overcommitting to the run, getting a lot of guys in the box, you know, pulling their safeties down pretty quick. And so that opened up an opportunity for Auburn to – you know, throw, make some throws on the outside. Also have Peyton Thorne run the ball. I think Thorne played really well. I mean, if people are going to point out the two interceptions and, and you know, the second one was a big-time mistake that he shouldn't have made. But, um, I mean, he put up a lot of yards and, and made some really good throws, especially deep balls, looked a little bit more in command and control of the offense and got to showcase some running ability that he hadn't got to show yet at Auburn and he hadn't really gotten to show in a while because he's been – dealing with you know he dealt with injuries last season in Michigan State so um, I think all in all offensively it's a lot of what you wanted you you, you wish you could run the ball better and you know I think it's going to be kind of interesting to see how Auburn recovers from that this week against Texas A&M but I thought the priority in this game was to make sure that you know Peyton Thorne got some confidence throwing the ball and they definitely did that defensively played really well I mean only um, a couple coverage busts in the game only a couple big plays from a Sanford offense that is known for putting up points um, you know, you'll take that. You'll, you'll take that every day of the week. And, uh, you know, I think Auburn was a few plays away from, you know, scoring 50 or even 60 points in this game. So, and feeling pretty good about where they come. So don't let the scoreboard fool you. Um, I think Auburn did a lot of what they needed to do on, on Saturday against Sanford outside of, you know, staying healthy, but it's football. That kind of stuff happens. Justin, you touched on him a bit earlier, uh, but it, how does the Keontae Scott injury affect this Auburn team? Yeah, I mean, Keontae Scott had been playing really, really well. I think the big priority for Auburn now is to make sure Donovan Coffin's ready to go. Now, you know, Scott and Coffin were both playing the first couple games, um, you know, not a little, little evenly. Um, and Coffin obviously made some big plays, forced a couple fumbles, impact plays, and those two games against uh, UMass and, and Cal. Um, you did play Caleb Wood in a decent bit. And, you know, he's continuing to kind of develop and learn um, in, in that next spot. It'll be interesting to see what they do. At nickel, um, if Coffin's ready to go, you know he didn't play against uh, against uh, Sanford. Uh, I think Auburn was kind of taking a cautious approach there. He's ready to go against A and M. You've got a starter. Be interested to see if they play Wooden there uh, behind him. JD Rim could also slot in there, especially if you have DMI Pritchett back this week. You can kind of move some pieces around and play Wooden more of a more of a safety role. But um, you know it, it's a it's a blow for sure um, because. You know, he, Scott had been playing really well. I think if you're Auburn, though, you look at this, uh, you know, as as a chance to get some younger guys some more opportunities, uh, some guys you might be relying on more in the future. And also, if you can get me and my Pritchett back, if you can get Donovan Coffin back, I think Auburn's still got a lot of that, you know, top top line experience and talent that you really want from your secondary. So it's a blow, but it's not a it's not one that's going to just completely wreck the secondary. They've got a lot of they got a lot of strength and numbers back there. Um, and, uh, you know, if they can get those guys healthy, I think they can be fine. 
So uh, also looking at this Sanford game, and you, and you mentioned you know, Auburn came out looking to really throw the ball and, and, and exploit the uh, secondary of Sanford. But when Auburn did run the ball with their running back room, and it's a very loaded running back room, but however – uh, you know, you're only averaging uh, three, uh, three a carry. I think, uh, uh, yeah, Brian Batty was uh, four, four point two. Uh, is there a cause for concern uh, when you have those running backs and and right now they're seemingly not being able to get their game going to full strength yet? Yeah, I mean, I mean, they ran really well against UMass in week one, and I thought they had some solid plays in week two when they were able to hold on the ball. I, I really think I chalk up week three the performance against Sanford to a couple things. One. You know, you had some injuries on the offensive line, and that made you shake some things up. Um, you know, as Free said yesterday, I think Cam Stutz really kind of is kind of the driving force behind that offensive line, especially in run blocking. You'd like to have him back healthy uh, if he can. Uh, and, and number two, I just I really do think it's just Sanford was, you know, really putting eight nine guys uh, committed to the to run running plays a lot, and it was just harder for them to kind of get into the second level and break those bigger plays because Sanford was overcommitting now. Some of those short yardage plays where you need to just get a couple yards, yeah, you want to be able to convert on more of those. And Texas A&M is going to be tougher, um, you know, obviously uh, next week. You know, you want to be able to run the ball better coming into a game like this. Um, but I do think when you saw in the second half that Peyton Thorne was able to run the ball as effectively as he can, it's because they took advantage of the fact that Sanford was overplaying uh, down the middle of the field and, and you were able to kind of tuck it and go. So you still got some rushing production. Um yeah, you, you want those guys to be better. I think finding ways to get Jeremiah Cobb the ball in his hands um, in the passing game was a really smart idea. Um, so it's it's a cause for concern, but I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's not like Auburn's you know kind of doomed at running back. And um, you know this is the same team that two weeks ago um, you know ran the ball exceptionally well against UMass. And I think teams that kind of play them a little more straight up, Auburn might be able to kind of get some more room there. I think just Sanford. Sanford just really, really sold out to, to slow down the inside run, uh, and they mostly did that, but Auburn you know, was able to just take advantage everywhere else. Talking to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer today on Sports Call. Justin, let's turn our attention to Texas A&M, and similar to Auburn, their season has essentially amounted to one important Power 5 game, but it went vastly different than Auburn's did. It was a high-scoring loss for A&M. I know so many people – coming into the year we're focused on the Bobby Petrino aspect of it, but what's going wrong for this A&M defense and how can Auburn take advantage of it? Yeah, this A&M defense isn't as, as good as you want them to be through the air. I think they've been exploited a decent bit. You know, even in that in that opener against New Mexico, there were some shots they were able to hit and some in plays of the air. And Yeah, and Miami tore them up. Well, Miami didn't really run the ball well at all in that game. Um, and, you know, A&M has been able to kind of slow down the run this season, but it's, it's, it's through the air. I mean, big plays, uh, confident throwing from, from Tyler Van Dyke. Auburn's going to need some of that from, from Peyton Thorne. I'm not saying he's got to throw for, you know, 350 yards and five touchdowns like, like Van Dyke did, but they need to have kind of a, a, a strong game from, from Peyton Thorne and these wide receivers. I think Auburn getting some more reps, getting some more good plays from guys like, Shane Hooks getting Coy Moore back involved, Amari Kelly, you know others. I think was a good good sign. And then Jay Fair, you know, seven catches, almost a hundred yards. Um, he's playing really, really well. And if you go back and look at the Miami game, and if you look at that New Mexico game uh, in Week One against Texas A&M, um, you know the slot receivers for both of those teams. Miami's top receiver that game, slot receiver. Um, you, uh, New Mexico's top receiver that game, slot receiver. 
um, this could be an opportunity for Jay Fair to take advantage um, and, and, and kind of get after that, that secondary. I think A&M is really strong uh, in the trenches. They've got some really, really good players. They are a little bit susceptible so far this season on the back end. They brought out, you know, they were really good in that area last year, um, but it hadn't been quite the same um, to start this season. And, and I wonder if that's going to keep up in conference play. So uh, when we start looking at that Texas A&M game, one thing we've discussed here in studio is the the potential of uh, what this Auburn team is going to look like and what an offensive identity is going to look like. We saw a game against UMass, very heavy run. We saw a game against Cal where really nothing was working, and then we saw a very heavy pass against Sanford. What do you think the identity of this team is uh, when they start out with Texas A&M, or is the identity going to be more of – exploiting what the defense is good or not good at. Yeah, they want to be balanced, and that was the thing that Free said over the weekend. It's like, we just got to find more balance on offense, and that's why they decided to you know, go with a little bit more in the passing game. And also keep in mind, a lot of the throws Auburn had against Sanford were RPOs. And so when the defense is giving you a pass, they're going to give you the pass. Um, you know, go for it. And that's what Auburn did. It'll be interesting to see how A&M plays them, you know, because I think there's a lot of these RPOs where, you know, sometimes the better move is going to be to hand it off or keep it. Other times it's going to be pulled back and throw it. And I think Auburn is, is you know, this offense wants to be able to take what the defense gives them. They don't want to be a run-heavy system, and I don't think they want to be a pass-heavy system either. I think they want to be one that kind of adapts to whatever the defense has for them. That's why when you look at a matchup like this, I think Auburn might be a little bit more pass heavier. Um, you know, in this game, if they can run the ball against A and M, that'd be great. You know, they they would love to do that. You know, work the clock. Uh, you know, ball control. That'd be great to have a bounce back game there. But looking at what A and M's kind of struggled with uh, against Miami, looking at what you know Auburn kind of brings to the table matchup wise, I think they're going to want to be able to throw the ball a little bit more. It's just going to be a big opportunity for Peyton Thorne to make some confident plays through the air and get these wide receivers rolling. Um, so. You know, I think, I think again, like, I think it's going to be a lot of take what the defense gives you, especially with the amount of RPOs and option routes Auburn runs. Uh, but I do think just the nature of this, this matchup kind of lends more to a passing, passing attack. And that's why what Auburn did last week was pretty important. Well, Justin, piggybacking off of that, then, it, you know, you're, you said you're leaning more toward Auburn with a passing attack. We did not see Robbie Ashford as much this past week as we'd seen him in the previous two games. Do you think that trend kind of continues against Texas A&M, or do you think we see a little bit more of Ashford this weekend? I think Ashford's going to be a red zone guy. I think you're not going to really see him between the 20s unless it's like a third and one or something where you feel like you could run him out there in his own read set and then know, you know, hey, we're going to run the ball here and we're going to we're going to get this first down because Ashford's a guy who can, you know, make plays even when everybody knows it's going to run. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I don't think there's going to be a rotation. I don't think there's any sort of controversy. I think the way Peyton Thorne played last week and the amount of snaps he got and and just the way it handled, yeah, you know, you run with him now. I think situationally, Auburn could use some things to kind of dial up, um, you know, either in the red zone or short yarded situations to use Ashford. And maybe you can use them between the 20s, you know, in trick plays or, you know, something to kind of catch A&M off guard. But uh, this is going to be Peyton Thorne's show to run. And, uh, you know, uh, for Ashford, it's going to be, you know, uh, the key there for him is just to do what the, do what the coaches ask him to do, especially with his legs, and continue to push Peyton Thorne uh, in practices. And I think he's done that so far. And 
be interesting to see you know what he does um, you know on Saturday. I think Auburn will use him, but I don't think it's going to be near as heavy of, of an amount as you saw. Uh, in the first couple weeks of the season. We'll close it with this one as far as the Texas A&M game is concerned, Justin. What is the most important thing that Auburn needs to do uh, to give them a, a chance to win on the road there? Win the turnover battle. This defense is going to need to force turnovers. They've done a good job of that so far this season. But when you look at a matchup where A&M's playing at home, they have a clear talent advantage. That doesn't mean Auburn can't win, but they have a clear talent advantage. Um, you're going to have to get some hidden yards. You're going to have to steal some possessions. You're going to have to do some stuff, you know, that uh, isn't just, hey, we're going to beat you straight up play by play. Um, you know, so I think Auburn's got to force turnovers and make those impact plays and see what they can do. They've done a good job of that. And then on the flip side, you got to win the turnover battle by taking care of the ball yourself. You throw picks, you fumble the ball away, you give that A&M crowd um, reasons to kind of get fired up could be a long day for you so for Auburn it's just you know so many times you can sit here and say of course you want to win the turnover battle every week you play in college football but I think this game is especially important because Auburn's coming in as an underdog Auburn's coming in as a team um, that I think is not at the line of scrimmage where um, you know you need to be to be an SEC contender that's just kind of the way they are this year so do some underdog things and a big thing that underdogs can do in this game um, is you know take advantage of turnover. So win the turnover battle. Um, take advantage of those opportunities when you get them. And uh, you know I, I think I think Auburn will have a good chance to hang in there with A and M and potentially pull off an upset. But if they go in there and they're loose with the ball. Um, a and M's gonna A and M's gonna have a pretty big day. I think. Buy or sell two Monday night football games going on at the same time. I hate it. I don't like it at all. <laughs> um, yep. You know I I, I prefer. These night games just to have one on. Like, two is just weird because it's like, okay, if you're, you know, during the day, during an NFL Sunday, you can just have red zone up and just keep an eye on everything. Two is just like you're having to go back and forth, and it's just it's not fun. And I get why they're doing it. Uh, people were pointing out yesterday, it's because of the writer's strike and the actor's strike. Like, you know, ABC needs, like, content, you know, put on to put on television right now. So I'm I get why they're doing that. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I do like having just like one Monday night game to focus on, that one Sunday night game everyone focuses on, that one Thursday night game everyone focuses on. Uh, the two just kind of threw me off last night. I w- I'm a two-TV guy, uh, and, and so I was enjoying it a little bit more than I think on the average person. Uh, however, the two games were, were very hard to watch in terms of yeah. uh, not pretty pretty played. And uh, just, uh, you know, I, I certainly see what everyone's saying. Monday night game is such a huge deal. But uh, I, I took I took decent advantage of it uh, despite the, the questionable play at times. He's uh, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Justin, as always, the time's greatly appreciated. What can we look out for in the Observer here in the coming week? Yeah, so this week uh, we had a uh, film room on Peyton Thorne up on Monday. Today, story on Auburn's defense, sports and turnovers, getting aggressive. Um, some interesting quotes there about this matchup against Texas A&M. Got a story coming up tomorrow on Jay Fair, kind of his impact on, on Auburn that like we talked about earlier. Um, 13 for 13 series, our next one, uh, looking back at the 2013 season, uh, uh, comes out on Thursday. We have a couple of pi- more co- podcasts coming out this week. Mailbag on Friday. I'll be in A and M this weekend covering the game, so we'll have observations on uh, from from that and whatever happens. Um, you know, we'll wrap it up on Sunday with the with the podcast. So there's a ton of stuff for the Observer. 
AuburnObserver.com, sign up there. $6 a month or $60, uh, you can go ahead and pay for a full year. We email everything out to you. and You get at least one thing every day. Uh, and here these days, you're getting closer to two. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Justin, as always, appreciate the time. Hope uh, travel out uh, to College Station goes well, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. All right, y'all be good. That is Justin Ferguson today on Sports Call doing great work uh, as he runs the Auburn Observer. And, again, uh, they they do a great job with everything over there and certainly worth, uh, worth the investment there. So a couple minutes left in the hour. We will keep it right here. Uh, as again, we would, if we took a break, we'd end up being like 60 seconds and that's not very productive. I'm not a fan of that. That's why we sometimes only have one, one or two commercial breaks in an hour, but a couple minutes left here, a little aside, I asked him there at the end, just to have a, uh, have an NFL topic for a moment. So you guys also were not really on board with the two Monday night games at the same time. I, I didn't care one way or the other. I, I, I'm not a huge NFL fan. Uh, I, I I follow NFL for my fantasy teams. I mean, that's just the truth of it. So uh, I was able to hit the back button. I can flip back and forth from, from one to the other. So I, I just wasn't – there wasn't one of those that I just had to be glued to. So, eh. I watched the last four minutes of the fourth quarter of the Steelers-Browns game, and that was my football for last night. I watched a movie. Uh, me and, Sad. Me and the wife uh, were having a dinner conversation, which led us somehow to watching uh, the, the All-American classic from Nicolas Cage, National Treasure. <laughs> um, and so uh, that, that's where my evening went. I'll tell you what. On on I, I can see and I, I give you know there, there's good arguments of why you you don't like two Monday night games. I kind of like it. I kind of like the idea because on Monday night, let's say you know you've got a, a you know team playing. You know you've got one game going on. It's a blowout. It's boring. You're gonna you know you're turning yeah. it off anyway. If you've got two going at the same time, say the early one is is getting out of hand. You're like, oh, I can flip over to the other one and see. And as long as yeah. that one's also not a blowout, you're like, I've I've got something else here to to keep myself occupied. Because on Sunday, it's the same way. You know, if you don't have uh, red zone or you don't have the NFL Sunday ticket, you've just got the two you know the CBS and the Fox game going on at noon. You're like, hey. You know, this battle right here, not really a battle anymore. Let me flip over to the other one and, and check that out. And then on, on Sundays, if you do have those, like, red zone and, and, and uh, Sunday ticket packages, you're like, this game's boring. I'm going to flip over to this one or this one. or the, And you have other options to go to. But Monday night during football season, that's it. Like, there's, and, um, you know, once we get deeper into football season two, there's not going to be any baseball on for you to flip over to either. Like, there's it's just right. going to be football. It's just going to be that yeah. one game. No, you've got, like, you've got – ESPN usually give you a big Monday college basketball game, but it's like, you know, sometimes it's just not going to be something that we in this area, area will care about. It's usually maybe an ACC game or something. But if, if it's not – even if it, even for me, who likes the ACC more than the average person down here because of Carolina, if it's not Carolina or Duke, I'm still probably not – like that's not – I'm not going to go into Monday thinking, oh, yeah, big Monday tonight. Yeah. You know, so, And also, by the way, it's still no, November, December, so even yeah. that you don't get – you don't get it because it's not on ESPN. Because I'm stupid. It, you say, know, it doesn't start till January. In, in those, yeah. in, in those November December, there's college basketball on that night, but ESPN's yeah. not putting anything yeah. up against the Shield. Yeah, so it's it's a weaker game, and and so no, I am down for it again. I, I I'm again different because I do have the two TV set up, and so I can I can consume both games at the same time. 
Uh, and I realize that that is still abnormal, although I would advocate that for any sports fan. Ryan's living in the lap of luxury <laughs> yeah. over here. Uh, but, like, think of it this this week. Let me disparage my own team here. When Philly's working Tampa Bay over this coming Monday, everyone can go watch the Bengals and Rams and check in on Joe Burrow and Matt Stafford. Like, you don't have to sit there and watch Tampa take it at home against the reigning NFC champs. So, uh, you know, I, I – I think that's better personally than the Thursday night product because every I mean all sorts of bad play on Thursday. It's out of sixteen or seventeen Thursdays, you might get like three that were actually well played games. You'll get close games, but there is a difference in well played versus close. Like last night's games were very close. They were not well played. Carolina's offense uh, just was gave me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> and. Everything that Cleveland and Pittsburgh did in terms of you turn it over, I turn it over, I don't execute offense, you don't execute offense, I don't block defensive end, you don't block defensive end. Anything you can do, I can do better. Yeah, was not ideal. So in terms of quality, not the best stuff last night, but I appreciated two close games. Anyway, that is the end of the first hour of the show. When we come back in hour number two, still a lot ahead, we'll go to the orthopedic clinic phone line to start hour number two. A little bit later, we'll play the Hugh Freeze press conference audio from Monday. And after that, in the 5 o'clock hour of Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group, you are listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Our number two of Sports Call starting right now, Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, Brooks Childress with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. As I uh, appreciate Justin Ferguson for joining us in hour number one of the Auburn Observer. I had some things to say about Auburn, Texas A&M coming up, and of course the start of SEC play. Let's go back to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Open up hour number two, 334-887-3401 locally, or toll free one triple eight nine Tiger Nine. First up here in the second hour of the program, Ward Dam Steve. Retired Ward Dam Steve joins us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Hey, doing good, guys, especially uh, when I get to listen to you guys, uh, your comments and your guests like Justin Ferguson enjoyed his comments. Uh, I'd like to uh, go back and make uh, some observations uh, on my own of some of your further comments about 
what kind of, I guess, uh, identity does this team need to have offensively? And I've got some information here that might uh, help us maybe uh, be a little more, I guess, clarification or clear on what this identity might need to be. This comes from uh, Stat Tiger, and he points out that from 92 to 2023, I'm not sure why he picked those uh, years, but anyway, for about 30 years, Auburn has only won 49% of their games when they have less than 25 snaps on first down. And they end up averaging only 17 points per game. Well, we broke that trend against Cal because we only had 22 snaps and scored 14 points. Now, he says during games with at least 30 snaps on first down, Auburn has won 80% of those games and has averaged 35.5 points per game. So I bring that up because um, I think you had said earlier that uh, Hugh Freeze had made a comment that he wasn't that focused on uh, the number of uh, snaps. Is that right? Not snaps, the, the number of run-to-pass ratio. Okay. All right. So I don't want to be conflating things and mixing things up, but he was going to say here that he assumes he said, the majority of RPOs occur on first, on first down. All right. He says the statistical goal for a team, especially for Auburn, is to average six yards per play on first down. Okay. When that has happened, he said Auburn has won over 80% of their games from 92-2023, with at least six yards per play on first down. And they've also scored an average of 36.7 points per game during those games when they reach that first down goal. So he says success on first down obviously affects the number of snaps on first down and third down. He goes on to say the coach freeze comment that the number of defenders in the box dictates to run or pass in their RPO scheme. When it is seven defenders or more in the box, he says Auburn is likely to throw the ball when utilizing the RPO game. With this in mind, Tiger says, I see the future opposition making a concerted effort to disguise their initial look before the snap regarding the number of defenders in the box. Success at doing this could hamper the RPO game. Your thoughts, guys? Yeah, I mean, I, again, the, the RPO stuff, I mean, that's a part of what Freeze has done for a long time. Uh, I know you threw a, a lot of numbers out there. Uh, I, I yeah, think, I did it on purpose to intentionally confound you. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was a lot there. Uh, I think in general that RPOs are something that's always going to be part of what Freeze does. Now, you mentioned the, this trying to get six yards of play on first down and that sort of thing. And, and, and again, you could put a particular number on that, but we all know that you need to be – uh, second and medium, third and short, and that sort of thing. And especially, I mean, that goes for any offense. Third and seven or more is just not going to be very conducive to success. But especially if you're not a strong passing team, which at this point I don't know how strong or not Auburn will be, but I, I definitely don't think it's going to be one of the, the more potent attacks out there. So I, I think that getting in short yarded situations is paramount. Now, as far as the, the what down you run RPO stuff on, you can absolutely run RPO stuff still on, on third third and short. You've just got to make a better decision about it. Uh, like w- when they ended up not handing the ball off on second and goal at the one and ended up throwing the fade, that was an RPO. So if you have a third and one at midfield or, or whatever, uh, you can still do an RPO there, but you have to, have to make the right decision. And so the less good decisions that are made – the less likely it is that they run RPO stuff in important situations, right? So I, I think that 
what you're going to see for now is, yes, more RPOs earlier in downs because if the decision-making is still not great or it's just okay, then you don't want to put it in the hands of a decision that's not your own on third and short. You would rather just call what you want to have happen. And let me uh, make this observation to you, Tony. Correct me if I'm um, wrong on this. If you're running the ball more than you're passing it with this new clock uh, issue going on, then that means you're consuming running up more time, more clock time is being run off, which means you have less plays. So if you don't score and you're running the ball, you get less opportunities than if you were passing it. Am I wrong there? I mean, no, but also that's less opportunities for the other team as well. I mean, you're you're not just taking possessions away from yourself if you're running clock. You're taking possessions away from the whole game. So, I mean, I, I if you are a – sometimes weaker teams would like to run the ball more because they would like to – shorten the game in terms of possessions, feeling they have a better chance if there's less possessions in the game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if Auburn has to really think too hard about what's what's more conducive to success there because they're going to be on a, a decent playing field with everybody they play on. So I, I, don't, I, I don't think they're going to worry too much about slowing down or, or anything like that. I think Freeze – will run up tempo when they start to find some success or when they know their defense is rested. And when it's not, they're going to be uh, a, a normal functioning, you know, huddled offense. Well, I'm just thinking at this point, if you're going to be focusing on running as much as you, you know, you guys may think of the RPO, uh, then you better, you better score as much as, as often as you can. You can't waste opportunities in the red zone. And then I uh, heard uh, just person say that he believes – that we're going to not have a rotational, but a situational quarterback, right? In other words, when we get down to the red zone, then we should not be expecting Steve Thorne, and it should be more likely Mr. Ashford? Uh, no, I wouldn't term it that, that way. I would say that you really shouldn't be seeing Ashford unless it's in the red zone, but just because it makes the, red, the, the ball makes the red zone does not mean all of a sudden – you will see Ashford. I, I think that uh, the rotational part of it was out of the Cal game where it just did not make any sense and, and was oft, often changed and, and didn't work. The situational still exists, but it's, you know, it, it, it doesn't, it's not, it, it's not even as general as you get in the red zone. It's still maybe a particular, uh, a particular down and distance in the red zone or a goal to go or, you've tried this play out of your base offense and it's not worked, so you want to do something different. I, I don't even think it's every time they go to the red zone. I think it's still situations within that. Okay. Uh, do you agree with uh, uh, Justin Ferguson's uh, comment that overall, I guess, he was saying uh, we don't have talent uh, A&M? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, you you try to make up for that as best you can in the portal, and again, that's why Auburn – made some gains there and certainly got a lot of portal players, but I still don't think it out, it changed the fact that A&M for the last four to five years has been top five in recruiting, including a number one class where Auburn the last three to four years was not in the top 10 and, uh, and even closer to the 2025 range a couple of times. So I, I, I agree there's more talent, but obviously 
how that talent is coached matters a lot or else A&M would be a top five or ten team in the country the last couple of years and they've not been. So there's clearly a disconnect going on there and it gives Auburn a, a, an opportunity. Uh, but if you're just looking at the star rate rating, you're just looking at the projected impact of each individual player in the college game, then yes, A&M has more talent. All right. Now, on the encouraging side, uh, to me it's encouraging, we've got uh, a player who uh, – didn't do too shabbily last year, and actually uh, his team won and upset this, uh, Mr. Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies uh, at their place last year, Mr. Uh, McLeod, right? Jay McLeod at App State, yes, and that was one of his best games as a collegiate player. Yeah, I read he had two sacks, two quarterback sacks, and I think one or two forced fumbles. Yep. He, he says he's looking forward to repeat uh, that same performance. Yeah, and again, they, they they need him to do a lot this year. They need him to be, uh, I, in my opinion, they need him to be the best pass rusher. Maybe not the best guy in the front seven, because so far that's been a Eugene Asante, and it's been working out very well. But if they want a real pass rush, they're definitely going to lean on McLeod to provide a lot of that. What about, you just mentioned Mr. Asante. We didn't hear or see him uh, that much uh, in the uh, Sanford game, as I thought we might. Uh, what about in this game? Yeah, I mean, I think he'll be back to making an impact. I know he only had a tackle or two in the Sanford game, but uh, you're rotating a lot of people. They're throwing out in the edge a lot. You know, it. it I, I'm not too. I, I know that he didn't make a big impact, but obviously the defense up until the the late third quarter that had not uh, had not affected them too much. So I think he'll be back to having a pretty good impact. Okay, and again, we you talk about those yards. You know, uh, Justin didn't seem to be that concerned. Um, I'm still maybe think I'm I'm overly concerned about this, but darn, if you're playing an FCS team and you can't get more than three point average yards per rush on them. I'm wondering what happened to offensive line. You know that's what I'm concerned about here. You know how we're gonna uh, you know challenge their defenses uh, front. Uh, and you know we got four good qu- four four good running backs, but you know we can't be doing three point one yards carry against them and win the game i agree but also steve you you focus on the sanford game but in the other two games the running backs were completely adequate and the only sin that they had in the cal game was their fumbles but they the running backs in the cal game averaged five and a half yards a carry so i understand i again i don't disagree with you but i don't think that it should be reason to be completely doom and gloom on it because we've seen two other games where it did work out well and they did do a good job so what i think is most concerning is not the actual act of not having a great rushing attack against sanford i think it's the fact that they had two offensive line injuries against sanford and that is something that could affect them going forward like i don't think that we're if 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 cam stutz and xavier miller don't end up playing on saturday I don't think we're going to look at it and say, and then Auburn doesn't run well. I don't think we're going to look at it and say, man, they didn't run well because of that uh, Sanford game because they didn't get good push against Sanford. I think we're going to look at it and say they didn't run well because they had injuries against Sanford because they already put on tape that they have run successfully a couple times this year, and we know how talented their running backs are. So if that is the issue, we don't have them back, or one of them at least, then maybe uh, there will be a – more, I guess, tendency to be throwing it more. I, I think so, but I don't think that that dictates that you should just be chucking it every, you know, you know, so so often. I, I still think that they have 
Again, they have a strength at running back. That was the case going into the season. I still think that's the strength of the team. They have three to four backs that all are deserving of, of, of carries at the Power 5 level. I mean, the, the, it's hard to get four guys' carries in a game that matters, and so I, I can't promise you you'll see that. You only saw one carry from Batie against Cal, and Cobb only got a couple. So, I like, again, it's not – it's not destined to, to work out that way, but the point is is that that running back room is good, and so you're absolutely going to attempt to run the ball, and just because you have a few bad carries does not mean they will stop doing that. They will have to get more creative. They might have to change uh, the blocking scheme, although that's usually more of a you know game-to-game -game change, not within a game change, or you'll get quarterbacks more involved with it and, and do, again, the RPO stuff and, and that sort of thing and read options. So they, they're not going to just not attempt to run because they have some line injuries, but it, it could absolutely play a factor in their success rate, and it is something to monitor. Tell me about their quarterback, because I, really, I haven't seen him play this year. Uh, is he more prone to run or is he more prone to stay in the pocket? Uh, he oh he's definitely a passing guy. Connor Wegman is his name. He had started a few times for A and M uh, in the previous season, and uh, he he's I mean he's got a few carries. It's not like I, I there are so few guys in college that I would just say are just absolute statues if you want to use that term. So am I promising you that Wegman won't have like a fifteen yard scramble at one point? No. But will they try a bunch of design runs with him? No. They, they're not, he is still going to be somebody. He's averaging about 300 pass yards a game. Uh, so he, he has played pretty well this year. He did have a couple turnovers against Miami. But I think Wegman's been pretty good for the most part this year, and, and he is more of a passing guy. So the good news for Auburn is Auburn's pass defense has been very, very good. Uh, it you know obviously dealing with some injuries there too, but I think this is a good test of that because I think Auburn's pass defense has been something that we've not really had to call out for really many, if any, uh, problems so far this year. Okay, so he's not a Nick Marshall or Robbie oh, no. Ashford yeah. special. No, 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 no. I mean he has he has positive rushing numbers, but he's averaging like twenty yards a game. So again, can it, okay. again, he could make one or two individual plays with his feet, sure, but is he going to be doing it all game? That would be very surprising. Okay. Moving real quickly, guys, to the NFL. Holy crap category. Mr. Mahomes. Uh the, the money? Chiefs, yes, have agreed to an ungodly amount to me of $210.6 million for the next four years. It says here the most in history in a four-year period span uh, in the NFL. That comes, I did a math, to over $52-something million a year. Yeah. What do you guys, do you think he is worth it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely yes. worth it. Yeah, no, he, they, he'd already signed. At the time, it was the biggest contract a few years ago. Obviously, a few quarterbacks have gone above it now. So they reworked it to get him uh, a higher upfront value, and then he might, if he's still playing at this level, which I, I certainly think he will be, they can, uh, again, reassess and restructure and all that at the end of the contract too and re redo a new deal. But, uh, yeah, no, I'm not uh, I'm not too surprised by that. And obviously it is a big figure, but he's the best quarterback in the NFL. And this is guaranteed money, it says. Yeah, yep. If he, he, if he gets hurt, yeah. he can't play. Again, and that's the nature of it. Again, Steve, I know that you focused on it from the NFL side of things because it's it's not usually guaranteed in the NFL. But in the other leagues, it is the the the, high, the vast majority of money 
in all other sports is guaranteed. So it's not a foreign concept to uh, professional sports. It's just a, a little bit more rare to get, to guarantee such a high percentage in, in, in football. Okay, another holy crap category, at least on my end anyway. Are you kidding me? Are we being serious here? Mr. Aflac is now going to be selling sunshades, Prime 21 shades, are selling for $67 a piece, and according to ESPN's estimates, uh, if they're accurate, pre-sales are already brought in. Hold on. If you're not sitting down, then sit down. Uh, have brought in already $4 million. $355,000 as of this writing, as of today. And it's not even over yet. Um, Your thoughts, guys? Yeah, I don't know if these guys have a a thought they want to get in. I I mean, I I really don't care that much. I I, I I don't care. I I mean, if people can buy what they want to buy, if if he's selling it, he's made a big deal out about it the last week or two. The the Colorado State coach, Jay Norvell, didn't – didn't do anything to, to, to quiet that. And uh, if, if he wants to profit off of that and people want to buy it, let him do it. Yeah, you know, I just, you know, I just found to me it's outrageously unbelievable that people are willing you know, to, to, to buy it. Uh, these sunglasses probably cost maybe, maybe two, three dollars uh, to manufacture. But for people to be buying uh, these things already at $67 a piece, uh, and plus, uh, I don't even know what he gets paid. For the Affleck commercial, you guys have any information on that? I I don't have a clue, but I mean, I, all of this is it's the Dion when effect. Enough, ever enough? Well, I don't know, but I mean, this is this is the Dion effect. They've uh, I saw today that they've uh, their uh, last game of the season at home sold out. So for the first time in school history, they have sold out all of their home games at Colorado. Uh, and, and I mean, the man's peddling sunglasses. He he could pedal fingernail shavings off of his hand and people would be buying those up right now so that's just that's the Dion effect okay well in my next life i want to come back uh some something to do with either college or nfl football okay guys thank you for your time and for putting with my attempts at sarcasm and humor so uh i have a safe afternoon and evening uh since my time is way way up i thank you for your time as always and uh mr brooke childress yes sir Reach a woman right. That's, yes, sir. All right. Safe afternoon, guys, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. War Eagle. War Eagle, Steve. Appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward AMC joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we uh, will be playing the Hugh Freeze press conference audio from Monday. You'll get to hear what the head man said about Texas A&M and about some of those injuries that keep coming up. They're going to be interesting to watch this week, so we'll have that audio for you next. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, the Tiger Communications app, or after the fact on the Sports Call podcast. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. Now back to Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call.
Oh, excited to be three and zero. Another great crowd at Jordan Hare, and um, thankful for our great fans, students, band, cheerleaders. Um, just. Um, Continue to be amazed by the support that you receive here at this place and um, excited about any time we get to play at home. And obviously, uh, we've got to go on the road this week, but um, thrilled to be at 3-0. and There was uh, some good things and then some things we've got to improve on for sure. Um, we uh, played a lot of kids, which was good, um, but a lot of young kids tend to make mistakes and we, we had quite a few of those also. And uh, we've got to continue to work on not turning the ball over, particularly in the red zone. And um, that was really out of our possessions. We had offensively outside the uh, two turnovers. We were pretty efficient offensively. Um, defensively, I thought we were solid, uh, particularly with the older guys. Um, and there was a lot thrown at them. They had a good plan to try to stay close and shorten the game. And I uh, thought our older guys did fairly well with it. Um, but younger guys made some a lot of mistakes, truthfully. And we've got to bring them along because we're going to need them as the season progresses. Uh, but excited to be 3-0 and and head into conference play. Uh, Coach, can you talk about the run game for a second? You seem to be rotating a lot of backs right now. We're seeing the young guy, Jeremiah Cobb, get a lot of time. Jarquez missed the first game, so he kind of started slow. Like, what do you expect to, to see from your running backs on? Well, we, we really uh, didn't didn't run the ball as well as I'd hoped in this past game. But some of that, they were committed to stopping the run. I mean, they were really anchored in there and uh, bringing the safeties down to the box. Thus, we got some explosive pass plays. But, um, you know, we've said all along we feel good about that room, and I think it's important that we keep them fresh and – and uh, rotate those guys and try to play to some of their strengths and like all four of them and like Sean too. So we'll, we'll continue to keep rotating them and trying to use them in different packages. And, and uh, Jeremiah really gives us some flexibility to think he can do a lot of things that we haven't even you know really gotten to yet, even in the past game. So um, he's dangerous with the ball in his hands. So we, we will continue to explore ways to, to get our best guys on the field. Yeah, we were actually, um, you know, down. You know, Vars our second, and he couldn't play, and so we're down to our third guy. And we've got to, we got to get some reps this week. Unfortunately, uh, Keontae did not get a good report, and that's uh, that hurts us a lot. He's our leader back there, and he's going to have surgery today, and. Um, just uh, hadn't been a good year for us with injuries. Losing him and Keys on the defensive side is uh, it stings and it hurts. And um, you know our prayers are with him for quick healing for sure. But we'll be without him for a considerable time. Hugh, when you look at Texas A&M defensively, they rank third nationally in, in third down defense. What does that? How does that concern you about what you're going to face on third downs this Saturday? And then for your offense, just trying to convert those on the road. Uh, it's a great concern. I want to be really clear. You're, we're playing a team. I've, I've, I'm, I'm probably too candid and honest sometimes for some people, but let's let's just be really clear. We're getting ready to play three teams that have, over the last four to five years, ranked in the top seven to five in recruiting. All right, so you're playing the best recruits in the nation, and. Um, we're going to be there soon, and that doesn't mean you can't compete and doesn't mean you can't win the game and all of that, but 
there's a reason they're third in the nation in, on third down defense is they've got a bunch of five stars in the defensive line and that linebacker and that safety and that corner. I mean, they're really, really talented. And when you put on the film, you see that. I mean, their, their closing speed's incredible. Um, they're physical up front. And it's, uh, it's a tall, tall challenge for us in year one to, to you know, to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with A&M and Georgia next week and LSU the following week. It's, um, um, it's our goal to get there. But that's what reality is, is, is we have, we've had about eight months to recruit a half a class. And, you know, these others have been stacking it. And um, that's why they're ranked third in the country in third down defense is they're incredibly talented. I know you've uh, you talk, addressed a little of the injuries, but you guys are pretty banged up. Uh, yeah. is, is Donovan going to be ready? I know it's early in the week. You may not know the uh, um, status of some of the guys. And then how do you handle practice this week with so many guys banged up? Yeah, that's a great challenge. Uh, we got to get some young guys ready. And uh, they're going to get baptized uh, into the SEC pretty good in, in front of uh, – a&M's crowd and, and the talent on that team. So, you know, Keontae, we went through. He's, you know, Xavion and Stutz didn't finish the game the other night. So don't really, don't really know where, where they stand right now. I think DK will be fine. Um, but, uh, boy, we, we need all these guys come Saturday. So hopefully uh, we'll have a good week of of rehab and um, and they'll be ready to go, but it's uh, it's 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 concerning right now the list that they they give me this morning. We saw we saw Jalen get back there and, and catch a punt and and do pretty solid work. Is is how much is he involved in this and and that yeah. veteran presence may be helpful back there, especially. Yeah, he's he's going to be really really valuable for his presence in the back end right now. And then we'll 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 start catching punts with a lot of different people today. Coy Moore has done it. Uh, Caleb Burton has done it. Um, we'll get on the jugs twice this week and and make sure we feel comfortable with who that is. And and Jalen may be one of them too. You guys have forced multiple turnovers in each of your first three games. It's the first time Auburn's done that in four years. Just how important is that to have that kind of mentality in defense, especially with those really talented teams you've got, got coming up on the schedule? Yeah, I mean, that would be a uh, blessing if we could uh, continue that trend um, to, to get some turnovers in these games, particularly on the road, would be extremely helpful, particularly if we can take care of the ball. We've got to continue to work on that. But, um, man, turnovers would play a huge role if we could pick off a few of those uh, in this game. On Saturday, it's an 11 a.m. kick on the road. People like to say that the, the road teams benefit from early kickoffs. How do you get your team ready for this, another road trip? It's the SEC opener, and since it's an early kick at 11 a.m. I love early kicks on the road. Uh, I think our kids will. I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a huge challenge, truthfully. It's the same time zone. We'll... We'll uh, put them to bed a little earlier, um, eat a little earlier. But we did that all fall camp. You know, we started early. Uh, so it's truthfully will be just like a fall camp day. So I, I don't think there's a huge adjustment to that at all. And I, I, I like the early kicks. Hey, you question about your first uh, red zone uh, possession in the last game. I think it was first and goal from the one. And you started passing the ball. Were you kind of experimenting there? Or, like, walk me through that. Hey, I was disappointed in that a little bit. So... Um, I, I don't. I don't mind the first one. Truthfully, I, I didn't like the second one. I think we've, uh, you know, we've got to, you know, probably approach that differently. And I think I've made that clear. So, um, and 
you know, sometimes you put it in your quarterback's hands and he probably know, needs, to, needs to know, but I, I think we should put it on us for that and don't give him that option if, if we're not okay with him throwing it. Uh, Coach, you made a concerted effort to move the ball through the air on Saturday. Uh, Texas A&M had the best pass defense in the league last year. You talked about the talent that they have. Um, you know, what, what are you guys working on this week to continue to progress there? And, and you used a lot of wide receiver combinations on Saturday as well, too. Um, yeah, we're still learning who we are, truthfully, in the wide receiver room. So I, I think that will continue to be a rotation there. Um, I, I, you know, the biggest goal for this week against such a talented team and one that's really, really good on third down is you've got to keep yourself in third and manageable. You can't, you can't survive in, in the third and longs. You're not going to drop back and, and win a lot of uh, routes against them. They're, they're really talented. So we've got to keep it in third and manageable, hopefully short, um, to where we can run or pass. Uh, yes, you. Uh, back to the nickel position, I know Caleb Wooden um, was able to play a lot uh, against um, California and then played a lot more. Um, against Sanford, what did you see from him? Uh, solid, but you know he's got a, got a lot to learn and and help because that star position's got to help uh, get us lined up a lot. And um, they threw a lot at you, though. I'll, I'll say that, and and you know stuff that we really hadn't seen. So um, that was a difficult challenge. Uh, truthfully, we we met this morning and we're we're just toying with all the different combinations with with our current injuries uh, back there. Um, on kind of what's best, and hopefully DK can play, and he'll he'll move into the star position, and maybe move JD Rhyme there, um, and play the younger corners. We're not really sure, and leave Caleb at the high safety because you you know we got to have two deep to function, and um, we're just trying to figure out what the best combination is there, and we're not real sure just yet what that looks like. But Caleb will be a part of it, um, either at the star or one of the safeties. He, he too, uh, people like me who don't always understand uh, the intricacies of football, how often do y'all run RPOs? Uh, and can you just kind of describe how, how that works? Yeah, a, a, lot, a lot the other night. I mean, shoot, I bet, I don't know how many completions Peyton had, but I bet 10 of them were on, maybe 12 were on runs. Um, where it's really a box count issue. If you have six guys to block in the box for the run and there's a seventh hat that's present, then, you know, the ball should be thrown. And um, that's about as simple as I can put it. Um, and the other night we were pretty efficient at the RPOs. Robbie was also. I think Robbie was two for two on, on two RPOs. He we, we seen and heard about Keltrick since the spring, had a little setback coming in, but we start to see more and more of him, his productivity. Is he a guy that you, you feel like can be one of those playmakers up front as he continues to progress? I do. He, he had his best game uh, Saturday, and he's starting to learn, and obviously they're just young. You know, I like all these young guys. I think our young DBs are going to be good too, but that they're, they're still swimming a bit, learning everything that can get thrown at you in, in a game at this level. Um, but he had his best game for sure, and we're going to need him moving forward to, to continue to improve. But he's got the ability to do that. You, on the subject of the defensive line, I know you guys talked a lot in the preseason about bringing pressure with, with three or four guys and kind of collapsing the pocket through three games. I know the competition level is about to get a lot higher, but 
what have you seen from them against an A&M offense that, that is averaging a bunch of pass attempts per game? Yeah, we haven't, uh, we haven't done really well rushing the passer with just the front. Um, some of that, you know, Jalen McLeod's been hurt um, two games, two of the three games, hadn't been able to perform. So he's probably our best pass rusher. And um, we've, we've missed having him healthy for sure. And we've had to create it other ways. Uh, they present a great challenge. I mean, they're, you know, their quarterback's thrown for 900 yards and eight TDs, and they got great receivers. One of the best I've seen in Stewart. He's really talented. And um, I think uh, they're doing some really good things offensively. It would be a great challenge for us to, to try to keep them under, uh, hopefully keeping them from having explosive plays, particularly ones that lead to points. Hugh, after going back and watching the film, how do you feel like the offensive line did, especially with the injuries and having to shuffle some guys around? Uh, not our best game. I uh, thought our pad level was high. Um, again, some of it, you know, they, they really were committed to stopping the run. I mean, their backers were at two yards deep and their safeties were down in a hurry. And, um, but we, we could have played more physical. Um, I do believe that. So it wasn't our best. It wasn't as good as the Cal game or, or the UMass game. I think Stutz kind of sets the tone and losing him kind of, I don't know, he's kind of the leader in the bell cow of that, uh, that group. Hugh, Bobby Petrino, uh, his offense is, is somewhat different, I believe, than most. Could you just talk about, uh, beyond just the talent, the, the challenges it presents? Yeah, he's uh, very good, very good schematically, very good at scheming. Um, and obviously checks a lot of his runs based on the looks that you have, and that makes it difficult. Um, he's usually right, and I think we've got to do a lot of a great job of disguising things. But you know, he's uh, you know, he's going to make you stop twelve personnel and spread sets and uh, everything that makes it challenging. And then you combine the talent level he's coaching with his balance on offense of play action and passes and runs and the quarterback that can extend it with his legs when he needs to. It's a very, very difficult task. Speaking of the upcoming talent, I'm curious just where's the balance or I guess what's the challenge of trying to hold some stuff and with, you know, with Stan not showing too much tape to other teams, especially before SEC play, but also trying to build the chemistry and build your team and schematics. And typically at this point in the season this early, how much is still left on the table to show that you guys haven't used or you haven't put on display? Well, every game you're going to, you know, have an idea of, you know, this may be advantageous for us to do. And some of it you've done, some of it you haven't. Um, that's pretty normal from game to game and you pick up on a few things you see on tape that you may think, hey, we, we have this or so we might already use it this week. So, the, I mean, there'll be some things, but um, obviously if you're going to be really good at something, you need to practice it. And so you, you can't do too many other things um, than, than what your kids have already done, particularly us with our young receivers and they're just now kind of feeling their way into all of this. Um, I'd hate to, to change too much on them, but, but you are always are going to look for a few things that uh, might help you, you know, compete in a game. Coach, last week, JG asked you about stick, you know, picking a quarterback and kind of sticking with them. You showed that on Saturday. Uh, are you going to continue with that plan on the quarterback rotations going into Saturday? Well, that's the plan, as long as we're playing well. Um, look, this is just like life. I mean, you, you got to do, do your job well. 
And if you do your job well, things usually work out. And if you don't, things usually don't work out. And um, uh, we have confidence. And I thought he threw it really well the other night and um, made one bad decision, I thought. But um, the other we kind of should own as coaches. And so um, hope he continues to build on that. I mean, but the guy was like 18 yards away from doing something that I don't know if a, another Auburn quarterback has done in a – long time you you guys say you couldn't find it maybe ever but um so we hope we build on that and we we maintain con and, and gain confidence from it um at the same time i've been clear about robbie has a role i, I do believe that and particularly against the level of uh, of athleticism we're getting ready to see i think there's there's a role for him too and he threw it well when he came in the other night so um but you can't be herky-jerky in and out, and I think that's um, something we all agree on. So whenever we asked you about the uh, running back room, it, it feels like it's always a Jeremiah Cobb's name that keeps coming up. We, we saw him kind of go out as a wide receiver, out, out wide it looked like. You talked about just kind of finding ways to get him on the field. What has been the process of finding ways to get him on the field so far? Um, draw up a play that we want to run with him and, and get him on the field. It, you know, that's, that's usually the way it works. Say, hey, let's go this personnel and, and put him here and let's see if we can get him a touch or two because he just, uh, you know, he's probably the fastest kid we have in that room, which speed is a good thing. Um, and so I like all of those guys, they're, but they're just a little different. And, you know, him with the ball in his hands on the perimeter is a little different than, than some of the others. So uh, it's just a matter of us figuring out what, what can we handle um, within the scheme of what we're doing, what can he handle, and the understanding that we have in it. So um, we'll always be trying to find a few ways to get him some touches. On the subject of injuries, you talked about how some young guys are going to have to go in. You said all the way back in the beginning of the preseason, there's no depth chart, going to try to spread around reps as evenly as possible. Do you feel like you might be getting some good returns on that? I know you were trying to get a lot of young guys involved throughout the preseason, and now that their opportunities yeah. might be a little bigger. Well, two of the three games, we've played a lot of kids, and so that's helpful to get live reps. Will it be different at A&M? Yes. It's a different uh, skill set they're going to play against, different environment. Um, and I, I don't know exactly how they'll respond, but you know we're forced into it at some spots, truthfully. And um, we're going to have to find out. Uh, they're going to have to grow up pretty fast. You're listening to the multi-time Abbey Award-winning Sports Call. This is Andy Burcham, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, Tom Peavy with you here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. You just heard from the head football coach of Auburn University, Auburn University Hugh Freeze, on yesterday's press conference. Again, they 
conduct those around lunchtime every Monday. And uh, Hugh Freeze asked a lot of questions about uh, the offense, obviously, that continues to be a big talking point. We've got about three to four minutes left here in this hour. He was asked about RPO decisions. Seemed like he gave a good grade uh, towards Peyton Thorne from his decision-making, although we still highlighted a couple of decisions that were not the best. And then he also said Robbie Ashford's couple of decisions went well, too. We also talked to Justin Ferguson earlier today about what he expects to see against Texas A&M. And again, the RPO term is going to be something that continues to come up. And again, that dictates the, the result of those decisions dictates what our actual balance will look like when we're breaking it down. As I've said earlier, give the example, like if you run 10 to 15 RPOs, well, those inherently can go either way and will dictate how many runs or passes you end up with in a game. And, again, he Freeze was talking about, you know, if you have six hats in the box and you add a seventh and that dictates a pass and just going through kind of the decisions there. Uh, but, again, you kind of leave it up to your quarterback. That's why the decision-making of Thorne is something that I'm so focused on and I think we were very focused on in the Sanford game because making those good decisions against Sanford – it's kind of it's going to be easier than making good decisions against A and M and Georgia and Alabama and LSU, etc. And if you're not always making a great decision, no one's going to be perfect. But if you can't be say thirteen out of fourteen or thirteen out of fifteen making those decisions against Sanford, if you're going to be worse than that. How do you expect to be better than that against these big teams that you're going to play here in the coming weeks? And again, this stretch for Auburn, you got I mean, four game stretch, you got A and M. You got Georgia, you got bye week, then you got LSU and Ole Miss. That's four of the five best teams probably in this conference, or it may be Tennessee out in there, four of the top six in this conference, yep. and they're all they're all in this stretch. And uh, maybe I'm giving too much credit to A&M. Maybe they end up having a bad year. But just from a talent perspective, I mean, this is the, this is the stretch. And that's uh, that's one of the things that fans that listen to what he was saying, and, and I'm saying this, is to listen to what he says. He's giving you a warning. He's, he's giving Auburn fans a warning of understanding this stretch. Auburn is going to be out-talented in these next three games. Not at every single position, obviously, but overall, they are. And it's the simple fact of what happened over the last several years with recruiting, the fact that Hugh Freeze and, and staff have come in here They've had their time to try to get some things fixed in the transfer portal and some guys, and they're doing a great job on the recruiting. Nobody's denying that. But teams like Texas A&M, Georgia, LSU, they've got years and years and years and years of stacking five stars on top of five stars on top of more five stars. That's just the simple fact of where we're at right now with this Auburn program. So you have to understand that you're going to have to get around that. And uh, – that's where you it comes down to those decision making things you're going to have to make the right decisions because if you make a wrong decision these are the types of teams and the types of talent that will make you pay for that these these are the types of scenarios where you have to be so perfect in what you're doing with your technique because the slightest little thing you're going to get beat you're going to get overpowered so if you're on the offensive line your base has to be so good your hands have to be so good because you've got five-star blue-chip defensive lineman that can make all these moves to get past you. So it, he's given a warning, and it's a very true warning just to, to understand that 
you know, Auburn is a their backs are against the wall these next three games, and, and it starts this weekend. It it's not that it can't be done; it can absolutely be done. But Auburn is going to have to play darn near flawless types of football to to be able to win some of these games. Uh, and I still think they can do it. I I want to see it for myself. I, I you know I'm. I'm still not sold on this team just because I I need to see it. I want to see what they're going to look like against the talent of a Texas A&M. But uh, he's he's laying it out there for you to for you to understand that it, that it's it's going to be tough. It's it, these next three weeks are about as tough as you could possibly ask for. Yeah, and again, you also will get into this a little bit here in the final hour of the program, but uh, even. You know, there's some questions out there about LSU after the, the first game of the season, and then they flex muscles in, in Starkville and, yeah. and have Mississippi State out of that by, by halftime, essentially, with how good their performance was. And, and not that State is a great team, but also it's like if you were thinking LSU was going to have some sort of panic to themselves or some sort of you know disaster season, uh, I, I think that they've already kind of moved on from that Florida State loss and now started to – uh, rearrange things and get set to try and make a run still at the the SEC West this year. So it is going to be very tough for the Tigers. It starts in College Station this weekend. We are out of time for hour number two. When we come back in hour number three, the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday afternoon. Very good weather. Perfect weather, some could say, for minor league baseball coming yes, up in a little bit. That's what I was about to say. <laughs> uh, so Tom will be with us one more segment here, then we'll let him head towards Montgomery for some playoff biscuits baseball. Tom, are you saying you don't like sitting in a baseball stadium where it's 99 degrees with 99.99999% humidity? No, <laughs> but speaking of that, while it's been nice here, something we haven't talked about about this upcoming Auburn-Texas A&M game, and it's something to keep an eye out on. It's supposed to be 99 degrees out there, right? Yeah. About the time that they kick off. I think I've seen 98, around 98, around 99. That's going to have a factor. I don't care who you are. Um, at eleven o'clock in the morning, you're getting in the in the hottest part of the day, out in Texas in that stadium that's going to hold all that heat in in it. Uh, 
it's that's going to be a factor. It's a factor for both teams, but it's a factor that has not really been talked about. Uh, I think maybe because we've kind of gotten a little bit complacent with our coolish weather here lately. Uh, but summer has not left Texas. Yeah. It, it's it's going to be hot. So in College Station, what if I told you between Wednesday and Sunday in College Station, so not including today, that Saturday is actually the least hot day. That's however. What if I told you that on Saturday, that least hot day of the next five days is a high of 98 degrees? <laughs> <laughs> They're going to have a couple triple-digit uh, triple digit days in the next five. Right. So it, what, that could fluctuate. But, yeah, they're going to be pushing 100 on yeah. Saturday. And it, it, the coolest part of the day will, or game will be the kickoff because it will be actively getting right. warmer. One or two, three o'clock is usually the, the hottest part of the day. So by the time it's the fourth quarter and you're already kind of tired, yep. hey, here's the hard, hottest uh, part of the day. And the other thing is that we talked about it before that whenever you're in kind of those enclosed stadiums, and especially one like there in at Kyle Field that is like so high and enclosed, that it, it holds that heat down in there. Now, fortunately, is it is a real grass field. the 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 artificial turf fields tend to heat oh, up yeah. more just because of yeah. the black uh, pellets, uh, the under pellets yep. that go into those. Those tend to get like super hot. So at least you're on some actual grass and you don't have to compete with that. But it, it's going to be hot. There's, it's going to be a hot, hot game out there in Texas. And uh, but hey, both teams got to play in it. It's not just Auburn playing in it. A and M's got to suffer through it too. There was a game, and I want to say it was the Utah Baylor game a couple weeks ago, where they did a sideline report. You know, they it, it's always the hey, we've got the the heat gun here. We're going to mm-hmm. see how warm it is. But it it was so hot that the AD walked over and showed like the the report, the sideline reporter, his shoes, and the soles had melted. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I I've I've actually I have definitely heard about that on on artificial surfaces. Uh, where, yeah, it, it will actually, they will get so hot that it will melt the soles of your shoes. So, ba- and so basically, the only, okay, let me be a little dumb here for a second. The only reason we have artificial surfaces are for money, right? They're a little, they're cheaper to maintain. They, they're cheap. Yeah. What? They, they're cheaper. They are cheaper to maintain. Um, that's why you see so many high schools now go into that. You spend a little bit more money to, to get those installed into your right. stadium, but you don't have to mow the grass. Right. Every day, you don't have – you actually do water it, but you're not having to, like, have turf management people, yeah. basically, to keep a playing surface in good condition. You put that fake turf down, it's going to be in good condition until it ages and, and gets really old and has to be replaced again. But you're not going to – it's not going to get rutted out uh, with with weather. Uh, it's not going to get rutted out as the seasons change and you start losing that grass. So uh, – yeah, it is better, but you know, fortunately, Auburn University has some of the best turf management and yeah, we and, know uh, some ground of crew. Yeah. yeah, that's why I'm bringing it up. Some of our some of our good old Thunder Chicken crew, uh, some of the best in the business as far as keeping playing surfaces going. And so we're very fortunate that with here at Auburn that we're not having to go the routes of the the artificial yeah. turf. Now there's a bit that big push in the NFL to try to even right to try to get rid of it because they're now. So they went away from we man. We really just kind of went off the rails here. Well, that's fine. I, yeah. They, so you know back. So back in my back in my day, <laughs> yeah. Back in my day, you had astroturf. And I mean, that was like the name brand, and it was astroturf, and it uh, it was basically like carpet, and 
everybody griped and griped and griped about how many injuries and how unsafe AstroTurf was. And so mm. then they developed this field turf, which right. looks like grass. It doesn't look like just a flat piece of carpet. It actually looks like grass. And it was supposed to be the safer version of AstroTurf. And everybody agreed, and it was going, and you've now seen it installed across you know, so many high schools. And, I mean, there, it is everywhere. But now you're starting to see – more and more injuries that people are pinning on right. that field turf. And now the thing that happened with Aaron Rodgers with his Achilles, they're saying oh, that was directly associated with the fact of that field turf, that they were on on real grass, that injury would not have happened. So now there's, not, again, this push to start going, uh, getting these teams to start trying to do uh, real grass again. And in the big stadiums, the big thing is, well, whenever soccer comes here, you do real grass. So then why can't you do that for football? You you saw this weekend, uh, and, you know, it wasn't confirmed that this was the reason, but, you know, uh, in, in soccer, you mentioned soccer, Atlanta United hosted Miami, Inter-Miami this past weekend. Yeah, and my they play, sister was there. They play on an artificial surface in, in the Mercedes-Benz Dome um, because it's a dome. There's not, you know, they don't have the field that can move in and out. Uh, Messi did not show up or did not come to the game. He was not listed as a sub. He did not, and a lot of people were speculating because it was artificial surface, and that that's a that's a big effect because you, you we all saw when when Messi got to the U.S. how much ticket prices for Inter Miami matches skyrocketed. Yeah, and everybody you know people bought that. They opened the stadium up to the full capacity in Atlanta for this weekend because of that match, and he didn't show up and didn't play. Again, not confirmed. That's the the reasoning. But a lot of there's a lot of speculation. It's because that was field turf and not actual grass up there in in my in Atlanta. Well, and and that's what my brain has trouble wrapping around. It's like well, you have these stipulations for these big soccer tournaments like the World Cup. That when the World Cup comes here in a few years, they're mandating that all these places like at MetLife Stadium in New York, which is where the Rogers injury happened, home mm-hmm. of the Giants and the Jets, they're mandating that they do actually have natural grass there. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so why is that mandate in place there, yet in the NFL we're still bickering about the safety and about all these things for field turf? It seems kind of obvious what the answer is, unless someone has a, a you know more informed take than I do. Like, just logic su- would su- suggest that if a really huge body that governs an entire world of a sport is saying, yeah, you need to have this type of surface, you can't do the field turf, it would seem to suggest that, you know, that that is an actual safety concern and right. is not something that's more kind of imaginative. Like it does seem to have an effect. And also, when you combine that with the temperatures, you can just say, hey, it's even at the very minimum, it's a hotter surface, which is a little less safe. And I'm not one that's like make every single thing about safety. I'm not one of those people. But if there's some obvious things here. You know, I, I don't see why you can't do the obvious and say, yeah, well, you should probably, when possible, should have a natural surface. Yeah. Uh, I, I think one of the big things, you know, especially for these professional stadiums that serve as a multi-purpose venue like that, is that it becomes a lot easier to pull the turf up down to the, the base floor, and then you have your concerts, or you can bring in motocross, and yeah. you can have all that, and you're not disrupting the the actual growing of the grass and everything you know it's easier to do that at auburn because you're not having so much of that stuff even though they do sometimes do that but it's not a constant shift and then somewhere like metlife 
you got the Jets and the Giants, so you know it's a lot easier to go out there and scrub all the logos off of an artificial field and put down the new logos for the Jets. You know, after the Giants play or vice versa. There's those things, but I mean, uh, there's still plenty of other stadiums that use natural grass that also are multi-purpose. So, you know, if that's an excuse, I don't necessarily know. I buy it. I okay, I get it. It's probably easier to pull the turf up and then put it back down, but. Uh, you know, safety has got to take the the lead on that. And if they determine that, that field turf is is really not safe, then that needs to be examined and try yeah. to start. Uh, I, I'm sure the players would much rather play on a dusty brown dead grass field and not get hurt than an immaculate looking piece of carpet. Yeah. Yeah, just, again, something to consider. I don't, again, have an incredibly strong opinion, but – uh, it just it seems from the outside without going into the deep dive of it, it seems like it's kind of obvious what's going on. But uh, again, that uh, that that would uh, all of it lines up towards why you wouldn't want to play there, why Messi's not going there, the soccer thing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Need to real quickly here get to the sports call five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. Again, want to remind you that John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends. And Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. For our real quick Five at five presented by Southeastern Land Group. We're going to look at five notable performances from the Auburn Tigers against Sanford this past Saturday. Number one. We start with Peyton Thorne, who uh, was solid in the air except for the turnovers. 24 32, 282 yards, a touchdown, but he did, did have the two interceptions. But on the ground, 11 carries, 123 yards, two touchdowns. Nearly had another touchdown when he stepped out, I think, at like the one yard line or something like that. So, uh, Peyton Thorne had a big game, especially on the ground for the Tigers. Number two. Leading receiver for the Tigers was Jay Fair. He has continued to be, I, I think he's been flat out the best receiver Auburn's had the first three games. Seven catches, 93 yards. Of those 93 yards, 46 were yards after the catch. About half those yards he accrued himself. Uh, and, of course, we talked to Justin Ferguson earlier, said the slot receivers were something Texas A&M really struggled with against Miami. So Jay Fair's name will be very important, we think, in College Station. Number three. Still want to shout out Rivaldo Fairweather, who had five catches on five targets. Can't do better than that. 57 yards. Fairweather starting to get that role that we anticipated. Really didn't see a whole lot of him week one. Didn't see him much against Cal until the very end when he made the two biggest plays of the game. And then we saw a little bit more from a volume perspective for Fairweather. So, again, five catches, 57 yards, getting the big man involved. Number four. couple of defensive performances for you. want to highlight the two guys that uh, forced turnovers there. Jalen Simpson with an interception. Also want to shout out the fact that he did actually catch his punt. Uh, at the end of the game and had a couple other punt problems with other guys, but Jalen Simpson with an interception with the punt return there. And then J.D. Rim getting some playing time with some injuries in the secondary also came up with an interception of Sanford quarterback Michael Hires. Number five. And still sticking with the defense, Caleb Wooden 
If you predicted he would lead the team in tackles, you might want to go get a lottery ticket. He had six tackles for Auburn, four of them solo. He also had a tackle and a half for loss. Caleb Wooden getting an opportunity again with injuries. That's someone that Justin Ferguson highlighted might get more playing time as well if the injuries continue Saturday against Texas A&M. So not Eugene Asante or Larry Nixon or any of the big fellas up front. It was Caleb Wooden there with six tackles to lead the Tigers in that department. And that's the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group here on this Tuesday edition of the show. And we're going to take our next time out. We'll say goodbye to Tom Peavy. Tom, hope you have a great time in Montgomery. Hope the Biscuits get a win. And uh, we'll talk to you again tomorrow, my friend. I will be here tomorrow. Butter up. Go Biscuits. Butter up indeed. Let's go. Uh, and a little little less little less humid, a little less heat. It's going to feel a little, bit, be- a little yeah. bit Feel a little better in Riverwalk. Yeah, State you're not going to be buttered up with humidity, so no. that's, that's a good thing. Uh, we're going to take another time out. Brooks Childress and myself, Ryan LaVoy, back right after this. We need a timeout. Sports Call will be back after this quick break. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress with you here for the final half hour or so on this Tuesday afternoon. Again, want to remind you about the various offerings that we have sports-wise at Tiger Communications as it is football time. and We've got a lot to, uh, to offer, of course, in the high school realm of things. Mr. Brooks Childress is the host of the High School Coaches Show that is every Wednesday night right here on Tiger 95.9, directly following Sports Call from 6 o'clock to 8 or 8.30. And again, that's at the End Zone Bar and Grill. A various rotating cast of characters join Brooks each and every week. And, of course, we want you to stop by and say hello to Brooks and say hello to the folks at the End Zone Bar and Grill. Also, each and every Friday night, Smith Station Football and FM Talk 93.9, Borgarn High School Football right here on Tiger 95.9. Directly following Smith Station Football, the Alabama High School Athletic Association scoreboard show uh, from 10 p.m. to midnight on FM Talk 93.9. And each and every Saturday, we partner with Compass Media Networks and with Touchdown Radio for a college football game of the week. And, again, those game times are always to be determined. But uh, we do have the game time for this Saturday as Penn State and Iowa will be clashing or uh, facing off. And that is a night game. I think it's a 6.30 kickoff for that, so 6 o'clock airtime on FM Talk 93.9. I'll tell you what, it, it's we've loved our partnership with Compass Media uh, so far this year. We're getting things fired up with Touchdown Radio this week uh, for the first game, and it's worked out well because if, if you, you, know, you, you look at it, you, you've looked at the times, 
uh, the first week of college football, Auburn played UMass at 2.30. Well, our game didn't come on until like 6.30. So yep. as soon as Auburn was done, you could flip over and listen to, to this game. Uh, the last two weeks, Auburn's played at 8, 9.30 at night. We had an 11 a.m. game. Auburn's played at 6 o'clock at night. They, they had an 11 a.m. game. So you've had two, a couple of 11 a.m. games to get your day started leading into Auburn football for the rest of the day. And it's going to work out the same way this week. 11 a.m. kick for Auburn this week, and you got a 6.30 game at night. So you got, you know, we're, you, you, can, you can listen to both if you're, if you're so inclined to. Or take and watch the Auburn right. game, uh, uh, you know, uh, watch the Auburn game early, and then you get to flip over and listen to our uh, game of the week this week. And we'd love to tell you that we planned that, uh, but we have no we have no <laughs> say in the times out. of these games. It's worked out very well, so uh, we certainly are enjoying those partnerships. And that is going to be a top twenty five matchup this weekend between Penn State and Iowa. Speaking of top twenty five matchups, there will be a lot of them this coming weekend, and we will be previewing them in the coming days. There were not any on paper coming into this past weekend, but college football is college football. And we still had some incredible games, some close games, some upsets, and the SEC stuff I still found to be quite interesting. So we're going to talk about it right here, right now. From what we saw this past weekend, kicked off in the morning, the game that was on FM Talk 93.9 was LSU-Mississippi State. And uh, that was a decisive win for LSU. That was not one of the more entertaining games. LSU riding the ship there. Mississippi State looks like they have a identity crisis on offense and Again, we're still getting a run past on defense. Malik Neighbors had a huge game. But some of the other stuff in the league, we talked a little bit yesterday about Alabama and South Florida. 17-3 is just not at all what we anticipated that score to be in Alabama playing Ty Simpson and before that Tyler Buckner. It was not going well. But a couple big upsets that did actually occur. Missouri over Kansas State would have been a Big 12 game over a decade ago. It's uh, now a win for the SEC in that department. To be quite honest with you, I think, if memory serves, that's probably the best non-conference win this year for the SEC, uh, which is not a great thing to say because they certainly had more opportunities than that. But I think in reality that might be the best non-conference win for the league so far. And then Florida, in the Swamp, didn't give them a great chance. I said only the Swamp will keep it close. Well, the Swamp did more than that because the players – for the Florida Gators, were able to go out and get a two-possession victory against the Tennessee Volunteers and take Tennessee down. And, again, a pretty big surprise considering what we saw from Florida against Utah. That game was also on FM Talk 93.9, by the way, earlier this year to kick off the season. So with all that, Brooks, thoughts on the SEC? You also had an Ole Miss victory over Georgia Tech. That was kind of anticipated, but uh, nevertheless, you had a Vandy whoops moment at UNLV. Uh, what did you learn about the SEC and some of its teams on uh, on Saturday? Barry Odom still likes being Vanderbilt. Okay, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I don't know how much you learned about the SEC this weekend. Um, it's it's kind of been down, and it, it's you know we. Uh, I'll I'll be the first to admit it. Over the off season, when all the expansion stuff was talking about, we I was sitting here waving the flags like, oh well, you know they can expand all they want. It's still going to be the SEC right. on top, uh, and and I still believe that the SEC is the best conference in college football, but. Um, they the Pac-12 has had an exceptional showing to open up the season. The Big Ten uh, has won the games that they're supposed to. They haven't had a lot of they haven't had a lot of marquee matchups um, this uh, in their in their uh, in their non-conference slate. But they've won the games that they're supposed to. The the SECs looked a little lackluster, but you know it, it's it's still. Uh, I think you're starting to see uh, some of the the effects of. 
uh, NIL and some effects of transfer portal kind of not fully leveling the field because there's still, you know, there, there's still levels to, to it, but there you start to see, you know, some of these programs get a little bit better for what they've been able to do in the transfer portal and what they're able to offer through NIL and such. And, uh, you know, it's it, some of these teams this weekend, you know, you look around the top 25 action, it was business as usual. They played, you know, teams that you're supposed to beat, and you're like, all right, check, move on. Uh, then you had other teams that are, are top 10, top uh, 15 teams that you said, all right, this is going to be, you know, the, this will be an entertaining game for a quarter, and it was it was an entertaining game for more than a quarter. And so, um, yeah, the the SEC – I don't know. It, it's it it feels like there's just a, it's it's not as you know, you remember. Uh, I think it was um, uh, the first week of college football. I think I said you know I know football is here. We've already had a, a week or two of high school football, but it just doesn't feel like it's time for college football. I, I think the rest of the SEC kind of feels that right now. They're like, are we supposed to be playing? Okay, I, I guess so, but we're not feeling good about it. You know, it, it's. It it's uh it's kind of weird. It, it's kind of a weird feeling that the SEC is kind of struggling. I'm, I, I say that word lightly, but struggling a bit in in the, to start things off. And of course, there was the Georgia South Carolina game too, which was interesting because it's again, there's just not a whole lot of opportunities to really understand a lot about Georgia. Even someone like Missouri, who is three and zero, I still struggle to think that that's going to end up being a huge deal. I mean, we'll see uh, at the end of the day, but. South Carolina jumps out to a lead. They looked unafraid by the environment. There had been a little bit of hoopla about South Carolina not uh, saying, thinking very highly of the Georgia environment, Sanford Stadium. South Carolina get, went right down the field to start that game. So they led the entire first half, including taking a 14-3 lead in the half. Uh, but then what stands out to me about the second half, and unfortunately I didn't get to watch a lot of it, Here's South Carolina's drive chart in the second half. It's not pretty. Three plays, negative four yards. Six plays, 31 yards. Get a little movement. Then punt. Three plays, zero yard punt. Six play, 21 yard uh, turnover on downs when it was fourth and 15 at 46. But you were down 10. That's why they did it. Next drive, nine plays, 39 yards. But, of course, you start on your own seven, and then you threw an interception. And then five play, 11 Yard drive, which also ended in, guess what, an interception. So, in the second half, South Carolina only had 98 yards offense. Uh, And so that's the Georgia defense that um, has been heralded for several seasons now, that has gotten them in large part where they are now as a um, program that's on the, not I shouldn't say cusp, it's early, but has the opportunity to win three straight titles. And so, look, I don't know if we know everything we need to know about Beck yet, but we unlocked another part of it, and that is he did not fall apart and get rattled and start turning the ball over a bunch and all that. I mean, he ends up 27-35, 269, no touchdowns, no picks. Ran the ball with Dejon Edwards well, over five yards carry plus a touchdown. I think they checked boxes. They didn't have a big offense output on the scoreboard, but they certainly moved the ball well and and produced yardage nearly 500 yards. So I think we learned about Georgia that there's not anything um, to panic about. There's not any super obvious red flag. Of course, I did not get to eyeball the game closely, watching a bunch of different things. But uh, just on the surface level, uh, certainly Georgia seemed to check boxes there. Again, don't have to be impressive. You just got to win, and uh, they, they did that. 
I think that's still the stunner of the day. I, on some level, I want to say the stunner of the day was Missouri. A 61-yard record-setting field goal to win after what we saw Harrison Mavis do in this stadium last year is as big of a 180 as you can do. But I still think Florida beating Tennessee is the more consequential result oh, in yeah. the league and the most consequential result of Saturday – I don't, and I don't necessarily think it's about Florida either. I mean, yes, I think Florida can maybe, you know, champ out a decent season, something that will keep Billy Napier around for a third season. He'll still have to have a big year next year, and they've got an incredibly difficult schedule next year. But I think, you know, it's something built off of. They can be a bowl team and, and just not have an absolute awful season. But I think if you're Tennessee, you're incredibly disappointed. I think Tom likened it yesterday to uh, Auburn going to LSU and that it just didn't really matter for a long period of time who was better. You just weren't winning there. And that's kind of what it feels like now with Tennessee and Florida. What was it? Haven't won there since 01 or something like that, 03. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, and, and so that's kind of in that direction with Tennessee. And now they've got their loss. And so it's like, you know what's disappointing about that? If you lose to Alabama – you don't control your own destiny. You beat Georgia, great. Here's your cookie. Because <laughs> you're, you're still not going to the title game unless Georgia messes up and loses to Ole Miss or to Auburn or something. And so that was a pretty, pretty big loss for Tennessee. And I didn't think Milton was terrible. I thought he was fine. He didn't make a bunch of mistakes. It was just one of those games where you're just a little off. You miss one throw here, and you get a penalty there and you don't get fourth and two here. And it just felt like the crowd impacted that game significantly, and their offense just never got humming. Uh, 2003, I look, just looked it up. It was uh, Philip Fulmer beat Ron Zook in the uh, Swamp in 2003. I, I would tend to think that Ron Zook <laughs> would lose uh, a game to Philip Fulmer, so that makes sense. Uh, so I think that the more demoralizing thing was from Tennessee. Just oh, yeah. To, uh, I mean, I don't know what you think, but again – I don't even know how to rank two through six in the East. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure it matters because in the scope of things, I think Georgia's not going to have a problem there. Uh, still maybe at Tennessee they'd have a problem because it is college football and Tennessee's going to try and owe them one from last year. But that to me, that was the most – LSU, great. You know, got back on track, shouldn't be destined for an awful year. Ole Miss still taking care of business pre-Alabama, great. You know, Missouri, big non-conference win. Congrats. You'll make a, you should make a bowl game this year now. Drinkwitz might save his job. Fine. But Tennessee losing at Florida feels most consequential. I mean, you, you I mean, one on the side of Florida, Billy Napier, this, this could be a win that gets him to, you know, to next year. And then he, you know, you, you keep, you know, we, we talked about it in the offseason how there was already rumblings about Napier there. And it was like, well, he's doing the work on the recruiting side of things. He's just got to get there to, to see those recruits get to, to Florida. Uh, this could be one of those wins that helps him get to that where he gets those recruits. And, and you know, you never know. This could be a, a win that you look down, you know, we turn the page. No matter how the rest of this year finishes, uh, you, you look at a couple years down the road, if he's having success, that was the win that got him to this point is it got him to the, the – where he can get the, his his top level recruits that he's been working on uh, and into Florida and start to turn the program. Florida side of things, hey, Joe Milton can throw it eighty yards. Cool. Yeah. Can you do it with accuracy? Didn't see it Friday Saturday night. Um, it, it was it was you know it, it, like you were saying, it felt like the perfect environment to go into and lose a game. Um, 
and I, you know, you look at the Tennessee team, um, and it's we we talked about this uh, in the off season about uh, you know we really liked the the Josh Heupel offense, we really liked uh, what Tennessee was doing, but could Joe Milton come in and be the guy? You know, we talked about Hendon Hooker was the guy last year. We knew he had the arm talent. Can he step up and be, now that he, you know, we, we saw him as a starter last year, but he wasn't the guy last year. It was still Hendon Hooker was a starting quarterback. He came in and filled in when Hendon Hooker was hurt. Now he was the guy. What we were saying, what can he do when he's the guy? This is his biggest test uh, so far as the guy. And, you know, fine, but it wasn't good enough yeah, to win. It was a C. It, it wasn't good enough to win in the Swamp. And you should have been, right. this is a team that should have beat that Florida team. Yeah, on one hand you got to win, yeah. so you're automatically knocked down a couple letter grades. On the other hand, again, I don't think he was the reason. I think he was part of the reason. And you look at it, 20 of 34, 287, two touchdowns and a pick. So it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're down around, what's that, 57, 58%. That's yeah. a little lower you need to be, but we're talking to if you're 22 34, then you check that box. You're two throws away. You throw for well over 10 yards completion. Okay, you got some things down the field. It's just like I said, when you're on the road, sometimes it's 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 a it's a clutch moment you miss. You miss that big third down conversion. There was a fourth and short that they ran. There was this mm-hmm. issue where they spotted the ball and it got inadvertently kicked. So the so the the umpire, the, the referee, slowed it down, and Tennessee was mad because they were trying to go tempo and force it real quick up the middle and fourth of one. Then it slowed them down. Then they went for it, didn't get it. And, and, you know, it's just that kind of stuff where when you're at home, you usually battle through yeah. that. But on the road, everything gets amplified because the crowd creates a momentum to the game. And this is where I don't mean to make this a bigger spiel than it needs to be, but this is where, like, if you look at analytics and stuff, this is the part they'll just never understand if you're just all analytics and nothing else. Yeah. That there is a gravity and a momentum to each and every game. And when you're on the road and you make that mistake, that momentum hits you tenfold. And it's hard to recover, so it's why I'm not like over here saying Tennessee's awful and Milton's awful. But you're right; like Hooker would have gotten through that, and they would have just barely converted those plays, whereas it was just barely a non-conversion in those big moments. And again, I just find that to be disappointing because I I, I don't think that like I have to be all sentimental and say, oh, it's good for the sport of Tennessee's good or good for the league of Tennessee's good. But it was enjoyable to watch them last year, and that's like the first time in a long time that's been true. And their offense is a lot of fun. They play high octane. And I just – if you – you know, you don't – if you would like Tennessee to at least be respectable – you don't want right after Hooker leaves to make it look like it was all Hooker yeah. and that they're just going to be so dependent on if they find a magical quarterback or not that it's not going to actually be something that Hypel can develop. And, uh, you know, I just, again, they, they might end up being nine and three this year, and that's not going to be something to, 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 you know, cry about. It's not going to be something to, you know, take lightly, but at the same time, when you know that Bama Georgia piece is still to come, and you're trying to say, oh well, you know, Bama's down a little bit, and you know Georgia's got to go to Knoxville, you, you really hate that you already gave one away because now Tennessee's got to be next to perfect the rest of the year. I was going to say, looking at their upcoming schedule, you, you know, you got UTSA, 
who uh, coming in this weekend. Then you're going up against uh, – you get them at home, but you're going up against the South Carolina team that we just talked about, push Georgia a little bit yeah. in that game. Then you get the bye week. Then you get Texas A&M at home. Yeah. And that, you know, depending on how Texas A&M plays their next couple games, that could be a big one. Uh, then you got to go to Alabama. And like you, you were saying earlier – uh, Tennessee may be hyped up to give one back to Georgia after last year. Right. Bama's going to be the same way because you get them back at home. You Bama, you know, we, we talked about you know a few years back with with the kick six. Bama replayed that over and over in their heads. Well, you you bet your butt that Bama has been replaying that that field goal being thrown into the river over and over in their <laughs> heads from last year, and they're going to be ready for that Tennessee game. Um, and then you know, rest of the way at Kentucky, UConn, at Missouri, Georgia, and Vanderbilt. Uh, that you know that if if you want to get technical, that Missouri game got a lot more interesting. Yeah. Right at right on, really just on the did. surface level with yeah. the way they performed against Kansas State and the way Tennessee yeah. performed against Florida. Because again, for reference, like you're like, oh, Kansas State, big deal, whatever. Kansas State a won the Big Twelve last year. Mm-hmm. B, if you're looking for, I know Texas had a weird game against Wyoming, uh, but if you're looking for teams to beat Texas in the Big Twelve, I would say one A Oklahoma, one B Kansas State. And and then the list drops off after that. UCF, you know, I think they're going to be decent, but John Rice Plumley just got hurt, and so they're going to take a big step back. So I don't think UCF can do it. And you just go down the line there, and it's like, okay, sure, you don't have to give credit to every conference's top five teams, but Kansas State is still a, rep- a program that I at least respect. And I did not have, in the midst of all these SEC non-conference uh, losses, I did not have Missouri being the team to pull a decent win out against Kansas State. And so if you're Tennessee, you hate to be like this because we can't do the transitive property. If A, if a then B doesn't work in sports. But if you can lose to Florida, you can open yourself up to a whole lot mm. of trouble with all these teams. Uh, now, another team that you is supposed to factor in in Kentucky has looked so disgusting, it, even in wins. The, it's the worst yeah. three and zero that I can yeah. think of. <laughs> so I don't know what Kentucky, what to even do with Kentucky and all this. But you're right; like even teams you're relying on being pretty solid W's for Tennessee. Like again, it's so early. Can you see a scenario where Tennessee it gets away from and they end up seven and five and like we're starting to think is is Butch Jones two point <laughs> in the house? Like maybe. Like that that is now their worst outcome. And like I said, they might still turn around, go nine and three, nothing to worry about, gonna be fine. But you you lose to Florida with the turmoil that Billy Napier's been going through. You lose to them this early. Yeah, you start to worry about was that just all Hendon Hooker and and what the long term viability is there. Go, going into the season, you know, you looked at that Tennessee schedule. You said, all right, they should be able to get to that Alabama game safely, and then we could have a, a potential for an undefeated versus undefeated between Alabama and, and Tennessee. Well, from both sides now, you're like, hmm. Well, yeah, what, that, that's a got... survival bowl. Yeah, that that went from being an, an epic matchup again to the loser that season's. They're all their expectations and realities come crashing down. I was going to say both of them sitting on one loss right now. It, it you know, and, and t- the way right. the Pac-12 is playing right now, the way the Big Ten is playing right now, a two-loss SEC team over those it's teams now really hard yeah, to yeah. get in. Yeah, no, and and that's why the Big Twelve part of it is important because you start to find the conference like, hey, what 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 would you take over this and that? It's like, well, Texas has such an important win. Because they're getting in over Alabama if all things are equal. And so they, 
if, if they're one loss champion and you know maybe if Bama comes back and does it all and gets the one loss champion you still have the conversation but you're always going to be able to, to hang that in the in the conversation one by 10 on the road look didn't look fluky either mm-hmm. looked like better team yeah. on road and so you're the, Texas is going to have that win pocketed all season long so unless they lose twice Texas has a great chance of being in the playoff because they can win their conference championship and they can hold that they had an, a, an excellent uh, non-conference win that unless Bama falls completely apart, loses to Ole Miss, loses to Tennessee, loses to LSU, has a whoops, and loses to Auburn on the road, then unless they have that kind of season where it really is all over, then that's a supreme win that Texas will be able to, to tout all yeah. season long. So that's that was a very big thing that happened and uh, had playoff implications for sure. We're going to take one final timeout of the show. When we come back, we'll wrap things up with a nightly TV guide. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call has been on the air since 1995. I'm Britt Bowen, voice of Auburn women's basketball and Auburn softball. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger Final few minutes of Sports Call here on this Tuesday. Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress with you here. Nightly TV guide in just a moment. I kind of got the pulse from Tom a little bit too. You worried about the Braves? Check your pulse here on that real quick. Am I worried? Another um, game or two before you get worried? I'm, I don't know if I'm worried um, because they're, they're still um, they're, you know, they're still on the East. I, I think it's so much emphasis, I think, was put this season on winning the East again. Especially because you you looked at the you looked at the preseason uh, the, the preseason you said oh it's it's the Mets and the Braves and the Phillies three horse race that's going to be it Mets fell apart real quick and the Phillies they didn't get off to such a hot start so the Braves got this huge lead and they I didn't I don't want to say they coasted in but it, it felt like about the middle of the summer they started putting that thing on cruise control said hey you know we'll drop a couple series here and there to you know we talked about the uh, earlier this week or last week. The Oakland series, the White Sox series, you drop a few of those, but you ultimately got to your goal. And so I think so much emphasis was put on winning that division that, you know, you, you got out to such a big lead. You're like, well, we can just sit here and, and coast a little bit. Well, you look at, you know, this, you, you won the, the East last week. You look at the, the two teams, and I, I think Peter Moylan actually brought this, this, um, um, this point up over the weekend. I think it was the Sunday game. The two teams that the Braves have played since they won the division is the Marlins, who are still very much in the wild card hunt, 
and the Phillies, who are still very much in trying to lock up a wild card spot. Yeah. And so, one, when you just play the division winners, your 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 go for the game, I guess, is ratcheted up a little bit. But when you're you know you're going up against you're you're trying to win something. You're in a battle for something. The Braves have locked up the the East. They were fine. Um, you after last night, you've locked up a wild card by, so you're good for the divisional round. Like the Braves are playing, the Braves are still playing for you know home field advantage in the the NLCS and the home field advantage in the World Series. But you got to get there first. You got to get to those. So um, you're you've played the the Marlins, who are still like I said, they came into that series are like one, we get the division winners, we can you know try to play our best baseball here. Plus, we're still in uh, you know fight for this wild card spot. Two, the Phillies came in last night, and one one thing, Kyle Wright has not been the Kyle Wright that we we saw him earlier in the season. You you said it earlier in the office. You, he may not make the postseason rotation. He, he may be a bullpen piece or something, but he may not be part of that rotation when you get to the postseason. Um, but the Phillies are still battling to to lock up a wild card spot, and so you've got you've played two teams that are very very much in the hunt for a wild card spot. My interest is going to be. Uh, one, I, if the Braves can finish out this series with grabbing, I, I'm going to say grab a win against the Phillies because the Phillies are still very much playing for something. This weekend, when you play the Nationals, how they look against the Nationals? They're playing for four. Because, yeah. because the Na- technically, I don't think the Nationals are officially mathematically eliminated. They, they but will they be are. in a matter of days. Yeah, they they are they are yeah. uh, all you know all purpose. They are eliminated. So when you're going up and you're playing against a team that is you know, not playing for anything, how do you look then? I think that if they don't look good then, I think you need to start get worried this weekend then. Won't have time for the music, but real quickly, the nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Nightly TV Guide presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Brooks, real quickly, what we got? 6 o'clock, Freeform, Monsters, Inc. 610 on Stars, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, starring one of my favorite actors, Tom Hanks. 612 on Stars, Encore, Night at the Museum 2, Battle for the Smithsonian. Light sports offering for you tonight. 6 o'clock on ESPN. The WNBA playoffs continue with Washington Mystics taking on the New York Liberty. Follow that up at 8 o'clock by the Atlanta Dream taking on the uh, our good friend James's Dallas Wings. And then tonight at 6 o'clock on TBS and Valley Sports South, the Braves take on the Phillies. Check that out. And that is a look at your nightly TV guide brought to our friends at White Claw Hard Seltzer. Thank you very much for that, Brooks. And uh, thank you for being here this afternoon. Look forward to hearing you out the High School Coaches Show tomorrow evening. Absolutely, sir. That will do it for the show this afternoon. want to appreciate uh, Tom Peavy for being here earlier today as well. And as always, want to thank all of you, the listeners and the callers, for joining in, uh, tuning in, and calling in. For Tom Peavy and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.